This is the Classic Gaming Podcast, episode number 94. Today's date is November 27th, 2017. I'm Robert Ring, and this is the first episode post-Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a time where you see people, a lot of people come together that you don't get to see very often all the time, especially maybe sometimes not everyone together. At the same time, sometimes people are missing that are normally there. And this episode is going to be kind of like that. We have no Jay Totoro with us, unfortunately, this evening. But you guys tell us who else, who we do have. Somebody. Alex. Uh, all right. Alex, who, who do we have? <laughs> Go ahead. You worked a long, clearly Robert worked a long time on that intro, so... <laughs> And we just messed it up. And I, could, and I, I didn't give you any guys any warning. I just threw you the... <laughs> I, I didn't like, know what was happening. I'm like, take it away. I didn't, should I talk or no? <laughs> going to go a Bill O'Reilly on us. <laughs> anyway, I am Alex, a.k.a. Snest Drunk. And, and I, I'm uh, Jay, a.k.a. Gaming Jay, or the other Jay. Jay David from Let's Play 1001 Games. Alex Scott from yep. Snest Drunk. Um, thank you guys, first off, for coming on. Um, the listeners don't know this, but I literally got in touch with both of them yesterday, and I was like, can you guys please just, can we do an episode <laughs> tomorrow? Uh, because it's been super long in between episodes. Uh, Jay is sick once again, so he's not able to record. But uh, since it's been so long, I just wanted to get something done. So I was like, you know what? Maybe we could uh, have some of the old guests back on. And it ended up working out, so I'm super excited. Um, so again, thank you guys very much for joining me. Uh, yeah, let's, course. let's do a quick, let's get a quick, uh, update on, on what's up with the stuff that you guys are working on. So Jay, give us yeah. a 1001 or let's play 1001 games update. What have you been, uh, covering on your, on your YouTube channel? Right. So, um, recently I hit my 250th video. Uh, so for people wow. who don't know my channel, um, the whole premise is I have this book called A Thousand One Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. You might have seen in chapters or, um, you know, Barnes and Noble, something like that. Um, and it's just basically this big tome of books ranging from the 70s all the way up to modern games of games that you're supposed to play. And I decided to take on the challenge. So I've been working my way through the book um, for the 250th game. So 25% of the way done. It's taken about two years to get to this point. Um, I played Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, which was uh, one of my favorite Super Nintendo games growing up. Um, although I actually, I should say not growing up, but just later on, because when I was growing up, I never actually owned it, but I knew people who did. And I always like wanted to play it as a kid. But it was really like after high school that I kind of really got into it anyway. Um, yeah, I've been just... Uh, Working my way through the book, and uh, I guess I also played a little Nemo recently. I don't know. Uh, just playing retro games. That's basically what's new with me, um, and uh, working on this book. So how was uh, Little Nemo? Because I, oh, I, yeah. I actually used to play that a lot when I was little, but I don't. I remember almost nothing about it. Little Nemo is like it's it's a very interesting game. It's it's super colorful with very creative mechanics and levels. And it is hard. Um, yes. I don't it's know Capcom, why. Right? Yeah, it's Capcom. Um, 
I don't know why people felt like back in the 80s they had to make kids games like soul crushingly difficult, but it is. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that one is too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very difficult. <laughs> um, I I played that one a lot as a kid. Um, in fact, I think as a kid, I had beaten it once, possibly twice, uh, but definitely oh, wow. not more than that. Um, but I hadn't really played it in years, so it was kind of fun to come back to because it was something that I knew would be hard. Um, but that had lots of interesting levels that I figured I'd be able to get through with enough time, and I luckily was able to. Uh, but the whole premise is you're kind of running around this platformer in all these different dream worlds. So every world is totally different. Like you start in like a mushroom forest, and then you know one level you're on top of skyscrapers, and uh, one level you're under the sea. And the idea is you feed animals candy, and it makes them go to sleep or something. And then you kind of wear their skin. It sounds pretty dark, but uh, it's sort of like how Mario wears a frog suit. Right, right. Only there's actually a frog that you have to sort of drug into uh, unconsciousness before you put on the suit. And then you get powers. So the whole game is you're getting frog powers, mole powers, lizard powers. Uh, It's pretty fun. It's like the precursor to the Kirby series where you take your enemy's powers to use them for yourself. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Only so, the the animals for who, the power that you're taking powers from all seem like super friendly. So it's kind of like <laughs> you're taking powers of like people who might want to help you. They're not so like it trying. Turns out that uh, Nemo is the villain of this game. <laughs> that's, yeah, I guess that's that the sense. <laughs> the ending. He's willing is he... to use anyone to get to to his end. So. <laughs> he realizes that he's a monster this this whole time. He's like, "What have I done?" He's the nightmare. Uh, real quick, Jay, one game that I do want to bring up that I watched on your channel, uh, I guess maybe like a month or two back, mm-hmm. that I just wanted to br- uh, mention is Free Space 2, which is a uh, space combat simulator. And I, it stuck out to me because I love, so I love space combat sims, but for somebody who really loves them, I've paid, I've played actually very, very few of them. Uh, right. And I had actually not even heard of this, but I was I saw it on your stream. I was like, or on your uh, channel, I was like, what is this? I started watching. I was like, this game looks amazing. And I yeah. never, I didn't even know. Like, it's probably kind of dumb that I didn't, but I did not even know about this game, and it looks really, really good. Yeah, um, Free Space Two. That was actually one that I had sort of only heard of in passing, um, and I myself had never played. Like. Um, you know, one of those games that, like, you always heard of the title. You could even maybe even picture the box in stores and stuff as a kid, but, like, you just never picked up. Uh, sure. That's what Free Space 2 was for me. So I had never tried it before. Um, it is an incredibly detailed space simulator. So if you are the kind of person who likes having, like, a grid of controls in front of you while you're playing um, and feeling like you're really in control of, um, like, a really complicated spacecraft, this is definitely for you. Um, I, I had to spend like probably a good 10 minutes or maybe even 15 going through the controls before I even started, um, playing because they have buttons. It's like you can target a target that you're targeting, or you can target your target's target. There's a button for that. (laughs) And there's like target your target's rectangle target. It's like, it's crazy. There's like (laughs) buttons and buttons and buttons. Um, I initially tried to play that game with an NES quick shot controller. Um, and then I realized it wasn't uh, precise enough, so I used a, a modern flight stick. So I would say use a proper joystick. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah. it reminded me of like the old like Mech Warrior Two, how those games had really intricate controls, tons of buttons. But if you got used to them, 
um it was pretty there, there's a lot to explore there and find so yeah what year did that game come out oh god off the top of my head uh, is it like late 90s or early 2000s sure let me google that real quick 1999 okay so yeah it was, that's a later one okay yeah awesome did what why do you ask oh no i was just i just like i said I, it just looked really really good i was like damn i really gotta try this now oh yeah i was i was just curious like i have never heard of it either like i'm it's way i kind of stuff's kind of way off my radar so i just wanted to get it like a how i can imagine it in my head like are we talking like late 80s like ultima type stuff like side scrolling or is it no 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 it's like a um it's like wing commander or like like tie fighter like like a, like one of those right. types of games okay okay yeah that sounds yeah. cool yeah, yeah it's it, pretty neat it looked pretty awesome uh, it's definitely on my list of games that i need to try out now uh alex how about you what you been uh what you been playing over on uh at snes drunk um well uh unfortunately tomorrow i'm doing the uh clickbait thing it's, it's pretty okay. blatant biggest it's, boobs uh... in super nintendo games <laughs> clearly uh it's the only way to get views these days it's pretty bad. um no it's uh 13 best games to add to your snes classic after you've hacked it i don't know how to hack it myself i know there's <laughs> tons of resources out there to do that if you want to i probably won't hack mine uh just because i already have a, a flash cartridge that i can put everything on sure so it doesn't really matter but it covers all the stuff that the snes classic did not include uh the most blatant being like chrono trigger or uh tetris attack or Terranigma, uh, the game that only was released in Europe. Um, I haven't heard of that one. It's it's like the third part of... It's like the... There was a trilogy of action RPGs in... Uh, released, uh, developed by Quintet, Quintet and released by Enix. Um, the first one was Soul Blazer. The second one was Illusion of Gaia. Oh, I've heard of those, yeah. The third one was Terranigma, but it never, it was only in PAL regions. It never came out in North America for whatever reason. So I thought, I thought it was kind of dumb that they didn't take the opportunity to include that in the SNES Classic anyway, because it's like, well, when are you going to, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to introduce it to a new audience, but, but whatever. So it's just going to be a a collection of games that, hey, spanning all sorts of genres, sports games, uh, shoot 'em ups, uh, run and gun. Uh, RPG, all that stuff. So, can you give us a tease? What's one? Of, what's one of the games that that you should hack on if you're into that kind of thing? That you should hack onto your SNES Classic. Um, I think Wild Guns is a really good one because there aren't a lot of very good 16-bit gallery shooters, especially ones oh, okay, that are sure. multiplayer. And this one's got oh, cool. kind of a crazy, uh, what do you call it? Steampunk like motif. That's uh, got some crazy enemy design. Um, and again, the big hook for that game is that it's multi- it's two-player co-op. And I always thought, at the time, I thought it was weird that the SNES Classic, it comes with two, two controllers. There's 21 games total, and only seven of them have either versus or co-op multiplayer. So yeah, like that. I noticed that too. And not, and not just that, but like out of those seven, only like two are like really good, like really, you know, kind of have really like strong i feel like uh multiplayer yeah there's contra 3 
and there's a uh, um I guess you I know you're down on Secret of Mana <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah but uh that's that's another one I mean that that you can Okay sure that okay I'll give okay but see like okay may, maybe Secret of Mana but but even like okay I can see Contra 3 as well but even that one like just Contra is so hard in it's general really hard, like yeah. I feel like it's almost just pointless like I don't know I I, I it's if it was I think maybe it just comes down to just being very, very difficult in general. Like to where, it, like that game was so hard for me that I just felt like there wasn't even almost a point in playing it anymore. Uh, some controllers may end up smashed when, yeah. you, when you're playing that. <laughs> maybe so, that's yeah. why they give you two. That's it. <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> a backup. That's a backup. <laughs> They're like, here's well, two controllers. It... Make sure you buy a third if you want to play two <laughs> two players. Good point. Good points all around. Yep. But yeah, that's what's that's the video that's posting tomorrow. Uh, after that, it's stuff like uh, uh, like Landstalker is the game I've been playing recently. That's a action RPG on Sega Genesis that doesn't get a lot of attention, but that one uh, kind of an oddball game. That's like an it's. Have you heard of that one, Robert? No, or Jay? I haven't. Uh-uh. No, I haven't. It was early '90s, like '93, I think. Um, isometric viewpoint and it plays like those games i mentioned earlier like illusion of gaia and soul blazer where it's an action rpg but it's got that like diagonal viewpoint which makes it really kind of odd it, it so it almost looks like equinox or like mario rpg in a way or like a solstice right. i should say so it's really unusual and it there's unfortunately the game is pretty good in an action you know sort hack and slash kind of way but uh the trouble with it is that it tries to make you do platforming uh, and okay. robert you know a thing or two about <laughs> I platforming what, I know in the 3d about. realm yeah i do so yeah this one brings up a lot of frustrations and in, in that sense I for sure only imagine i feel like a lot of old games are just heavy on the frustration factor yes. you gotta get past it because they're good but but yes, some of them definitely. there's no getting past it because it's like that for the whole entire damn game. <laughs> yeah, especially NES, like Ninja Gaiden, stuff like that, where right, it's just like, yeah. well, this, this this is what the game is. Either you're <laughs> going to keep playing or you're not. And uh, Battletoads, too. You know, there's the infamous oh, uh, Turbo Tunnel. Yes. But, like, and I never knew this until um, Blake played it, and he talked about it on the podcast quite a bit, like, about, like, a couple years ago. And it literally gets like progressively harder after that level. It's not just yeah. it's yeah. not just an anomaly. And I never knew that because I was never able to beat the level when I was little, but I was like, oh, this level's so hard, but surely it like goes back to normal after you get past this. <laughs> but it absolutely <laughs> does <thinking>. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how I, games were like that. I play Battletoads so much growing up that I actually really like that turbo tunnel level nowadays because <laughs> really? I'm good at it and it kind of feels like, yeah, like, look, I can actually beat it. Uh-huh. But wow. then levels after that, like I, like I can't beat the game. Yeah. Oh, that one snake level is. Holy shit. Oh, I, I watched, I watched Blake was streaming that as he was playing it. And that, that level in particular, I was like, holy shit. You got to be just insanely precise with jumping uh-huh. Like to the pixel, it's absurd. And you have to basically memorize the pattern that the yeah. snake goes. You got to know which when they're going and which way. And, yeah. <laughs> and you just think of how many hours it would take you to actually memorize it when, like, you'd get there with three lives and then you go all the way back. So, like, you have yeah, to get there. 
yep. a hundred times or whatever. Yeah, no, no thanks. No save states back in the day. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we had nothing to do with kids. That's true. True. And, and we didn't have like humble bundles and like Steam sales where it's like, oh, I bought five hundred games this weekend for thirty five dollars. Yeah. So now I have to find time game. to play all of them. Yeah, you have one game, and you're stuck <laughs> with that one for a while. So I guess it does make a little bit more sense in that case, but still, damn. Yeah. All right, before we go on to news real quick, I uh, have to mention something. I was at the grocery store tonight, and I was like, oh, I'm getting a little bit low on beer. I'm going to buy some beer. What looks good? And I was looking in like the basically like the hipster section, and uh, I saw this one, and it's... I don't even know what it's called. It's called Mole Porter. And all I noticed was on the side in big letters, it says Porter, cinnamon, cocoa, cloves, chilies, robust. And I was like, that's a motherfucking (laughs) beer that I need to drink when SNES drunk is on the show. (laughs) That sounds like a witch's brew when she's trying to like... (laughs) cure somebody's like obscure ailments like oh no i've i've got uh I, i'm turning into a bear how do i how do i cure this oh we just mix this bubbling cauldron of cinnamon and oh, what did you say it was uh cinnamon like first of all I th- first of all i think this is to turn you into a bear in the first place probably but uh it's cinnamon cocoa Jesus. cloves chilies and then it just says robust, as if that's an ingredient as well. Yeah, like what? How do you add robust? <laughs> but I'm gonna. Um, I have not opened this yet. I thought I would do it live and give you guys a play-by-play on how, on what in the hell this tastes when like, you're, basically. When, yeah, yeah. I think we'll know when you're you're uh, tasting it because we'll hear something, some kind of involuntary reaction <laughs> when you yeah. when you taste it. All right, I'm cracking it open. You hear that? If something bad happens to you, we're here to call contact the authorities. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you. That's right. Just yell really loud and maybe my wife will hear it on the other room coming through my headphones. <laughs> All right, here we go. You know what? It tastes disappointingly tame compared to these words that are on the side of the can. Really? Oh. It's like basically a stout beer. Oh, okay. I mean, it's actually pretty damn good. But like for like I was expecting something to like make my eyes turn red and like my hair fall out or something. <laughs> what kind of cinnamon taste are you getting? I'm not getting any cinnamon taste. Really? Okay. Yep. Cuz that's what stuck out to me. It's like really cinnamon beer. Mhm. Huh. That and, how how yeah, robust I'm, on a scale of 1 to 10 are we talking? Um as far as stout beers go, it's like an average stout beer robustness. Huh. This sounds like false advertising. It does. Yeah, I it's, think they, they got you hook, line, and sinker on that. They one. did. And the bad thing is, like, I may actually buy it again just because it actually is pretty good, <laughs> even though it's straight up false advertising. So it's mole, you said? Uh, mole Porter. It's mole? it's made by some company uh, in some brewery in Atlanta, apparently. A uh, second hmm. self second self beer company is the, is the okay. Brewery. Interesting. All right. Well, there you have it. Halfway endorsement. Maybe they'll throw us some advertisement money. Okay, news. Two things. Uh, Universal has made a deal, you guys may have heard of this, to uh, with Nintendo to make a Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I heard of that. Yikes. <laughs> We've been down this road before. Uh, not 
incredibly successful. Well, I don't know how well the first one might have actually performed well money wise, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it went, did really bad. Did it? Okay, I I don't know one way or the other. I assumed it didn't do well, but I didn't really know. But yeah, uh, not a great movie. But they're gonna give it another shot apparently. Um, I don't think there's much detail besides um, I almost said Hideo Kojima. Miyamoto is uh, <laughs> apparently like one of the uh, key po- uh, points of the deal was like they had to have like uh, they basically had to be able to like the Nintendo wanted Miyamoto to be able to basically sign off on like all the ideas and like basically be a producer on the movie right. to make sure that they, they don't just take it, you know, to God knows where um, that's right. all of the information I have read about this. I, I have you guys heard about this? It's animated, I think, right? It's I kind not of got that impression. Yeah, that's the idea. I think, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so, but I don't know if I read that or just assumed that. But I it, may, it of, may well be. I kind of feel like I, like I was talking to a friend about this, and we were kind of scratching our, head, our heads being like, you know, of all the properties, like, who's a Mario movie, who's an animated Mario movie going to appeal to, you know? Like, something like Legend of Zelda would have made a lot more sense to... Like, there's a lot more plot there that you could have worked with. Kids and adults yeah. would have liked it, you know? But Mario, it's... I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'll eat my words when it comes out, but it seems like I can't imagine a good animated Mario movie that would actually be worth seeing in theater, you know? Like, straight to video, maybe. I don't know. It's, you know, like, that's a good point, because to me, uh, and I was thinking about this as I was playing Super Mario Odyssey... Um, Mario is a lot like Mickey Mouse where it's like the character is super famous. Yeah, sure. There are all these like individual adventures or or whatever that you can pick out and be like, oh, that was fun. But the character itself is not like something that you can write a lot, like a story really about, or at least not with much ease. It's like the character is not that interesting. He had the characters both have these kind of like basic uh, core characteristics that aren't you know particularly nuanced but it's just kind of like all of the stuff that they do around that character to make them like go through and that kind of stuff is is i feel like what they use them for i i don't know if i'm really expressing <laughs> if i don't know if i'm communicating that very clear but do, do you guys kind of no. get what i'm saying yeah for sure i mean yeah mario's a boring character he's a milk toast character in terms of a personality <laughs> right like you don't you don't play mario to be like for the plot you, know, you, you, you exactly you don't play mario for the story <laughs> you play mario no for mario like the level yeah, <laughs> the level you you play it for the level design and the ideas and all that stuff so it's uh it's going to be interesting to see like i'm sure all it eventually if i had to guess what the movie is going to be like it's going to be all sorts of like cutesy references to how all the games evolved over the years and i'm sure there's going to be like a little cut scene cutscene i mean just a scene where um mario is you know back in his 2d nes form and he like he's they show him evolve and how he's you know it's gonna be all sorts of like gimmicky stuff if i had to guess so i think they're just kind of seizing an opportunity on the you know it's easier than ever to animate you know make a blockbuster motion uh animated motion picture these days so yeah. It's like, hey, let's do this with, with who's our most famous person? Oh, it's Mario. Let's do Mario. So, Do y'all think this is actually going to be made? 
Like, I know they've made the deal, supposedly, and all that, but at the end of the day, do you think this movie will come to fruition? I say 50-50. That's kind of how I feel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm on in the same line there, 50-50. Okay, yeah. Did you hear that Mario's supposed to make... I don't know if I... I if this is rumor or it's official, but I, I heard Mario is supposed to make a cameo in the next Wreck-It Ralph. Huh. Uh, I don't think I've, I haven't heard anything about that. I didn't even know there was going to be another Wreck-It Ralph. I, I think there is. I mean, I've been hearing about it for years, but I feel like Mario makes more sense in that kind of story where like he's a brief cameo. It's kind of fun to see a video game character in a movie, but it's not all about him, you know? I haven't right. seen the first one. Did any Nintendo characters show up in the first Wreck-It oh, Ralph? Really? Bowser. Oh really? Oh right, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot about him. It's it's subtle. I mean, the the, the movie is mostly about original characters, but there's a few yeah. uh, references. I wouldn't okay. say subtle, but like they're not. They don't. I've, let me try to get this out. They don't like focus on the uh, on the cameo characters, but but right. like. I wouldn't say they're subtle in that sense because, like, even though they don't make them part of the story, they, like, definitely, like, make a point to show you, like, oh, look who's here. Like, Zangief's here. Let's see what right. he has to say and that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't really like Wreck-It Ralph. What did you think of it, Jimmy? I don't know. I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. It felt like um, like a, the video game equivalent of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where that one had <laughs> all the old cartoons. This one was all the game characters. Um, I... I wasn't super crazy about the fact that half the movie took place in a Candyland video game. Yeah, that it is shifted from video games to candy. That was my and problem. That's with what it. I didn't like, but that was my problem with it because, and to me, I don't know, maybe I just got uh, tired of it faster, but it felt to me like 80% of the movie was in basically, like you said, Candyland, and like all, like you don't get all the cool other characters. And also it's like, you're staring at just like bright pink and purple for, like I felt like the colors pink and purple were burned into my eyes after I got done watching that movie. Okay, anyways, all right, enough about Wreck-It Ralph. Um, yep. Real quick, this is not classic gaming related, but I kind of wanted it's, it was kind of a big deal these this past weeks. I guess I guess like last week mostly. It's when this happened, uh, so I just wanted to talk about it. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, talk about EA and Star Wars Battlefront Two. If that's okay with you guys. Right. If you guys can stand to talk about this anymore, I'm sure you've been inundated, <laughs> as I have, with with information regarding this. Um, so most of you listening have probably heard about the fiasco with Star Wars Battlefront 2. If you haven't, uh, I guess here's a quick rundown of what happened. Um, so it, people discovered that you... Uh, and this this alone, I, I don't think, was too much of a surprise. And it may have, may have even been you know, official knowledge, but you uh, can pay to not necessarily, not specifically to unlock characters, but you pay to uh, like get loot boxes where you can unlock characters. You can either like pay real money or like earn points through playing uh, apparently very slowly where you can unlock this stuff. Um, people, once they started looking at the numbers and, and playing the game and seeing how long it was taking them to do this stuff, it turns out that, it basically takes, if you play and don't pay any extra money, again, keep in mind this is on top of a $60 game, it takes, it seems to take, on average, about 40 hours of play before you, again, on average, to unlock one single character. Or, 
about $80 worth of gambling on loot boxes to unlock a single character. Now, this is a single character out of, I'm not sure how many, but uh, it's not just a character skin. It's actually a character with what seems to be, I could be wrong on this. My understanding is uh, superior like abilities and that kind of stuff, uh, superior to other, uh, uh, you know, like stock characters that you get with the game. So people were uh, understandably upset about that. Then uh, the community, the EA community manager or the Star Wars Battlefront 2 community manager uh, mocked people on Twitter for <laughs> like couch or like couch quarterbacking the uh, development process, he said, or something. Always a sound lines. strategy. Always a sound strategy. <laughs> yeah. yeah on Twitter and start making fun of people. Great idea. I wish I had the, the screenshot of the tweet. He said like one thing like, oh, it's, it's, it's funny to see all these armchair devs. I'm sure they know a lot about making a game or something along those lines. Uh, that obviously went by pretty well in the community. Everybody really respected that he uh, made fun of them. And then, uh, then they had an official response on Reddit that is going to go down in game meme history where they said... Um, they're the reason that they have it so difficult to unlock, um, characters is that they want players to feel a sense of pride and accomplishment at unlocking, uh, these characters. I don't know how many times I cannot tell you how many times I've seen somebody use that phrase in a joking manner since they said that it's like anytime anything comes up, they're like, Oh, they want you to have a sense of pride and accomplishment. <laughs> they're like EA is making it difficult to refund the games. And somebody be like, Oh, they want you to have a sense of pride and accomplishment at, at, at refunding the game. <laughs> Not and, only is that a landmark moment in gaming history, but in Reddit history, because I think that is now the most downvoted comment. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Very good point. That had like, Negative three hundred thousand votes or something like that. You gotta give EA credit of finding new and creative ways of being like the most hated gaming company out there. It's immensely like, stupid. After one debacle after the other, how do they keep doing it? I don't know. It's really a good question. Um, they also they they did an AMA a couple days after that where like people asked them, you know, obviously about all this stuff, and basically they were like, every answer was. We hear your feedback and we're going to look into it. Yeah. Like, all right. Thanks, EA. That's extremely helpful. Then they uh, reduced the cost of some of the characters. Now, this I also was not able to confirm 100%, but it also sounds like in doing so, they made the process that you get the points to unlock that stuff also slower. So that didn't effectually do anything. And then finally... They said, uh, we're actually going to turn this off for now and we're not going to let anybody, we're going to turn off the pay to unlocks thing, a component of the game for now. Uh, and it came out afterward that apparently, uh, Disney had a call with the EA team and nobody knows exactly, you know, obviously nobody knows exactly what was said, but it was right after that, that EA said, okay, we're going to, um, come back to this. We're going to stop accepting payments for things for the time being. Uh, we'll keep you guys posted. Star Wars Battlefront <laughs> yeah. 2. Yeah. Bet Disney was basically like, stop messing up our most popular franchise and fix it. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's kind of the general consensus is, yeah, that's probably something, that's probably very close to what was said on the phone. 
It's pretty fascinating that EA was so arrogant in like, oh, it's Star Wars fans. They'll they'll pay anything. They're not gonna care. You know, yeah. it's Star Wars. They're just they'll pay whatever for the characters. Like they took that for granted and took it so far that it <laughs> just erupted in this just like giant outcry of just like, nope, this ain't happening. So it's just really kind of fascinating to watch. I personally, I'm never, I I think I played the Battlefront games on PS2 okay. way back when, but um, I have, I had no interest in playing this, you know, regardless of the format or whatever. So it's just been really interesting to see the reaction to how this is. <laughs> I didn't even know they'd lowered the prices before. They uh, said, oh, we're just going to put it on the shelf for now. I didn't even know they did that. So yeah. that's news to me. It was like, it's like when, uh, it was like reading Donald Trump news, basically, like for a week. It's like, <laughs> you got to check every hour to see uh, what the next thing that happened is. Yeah. Uh, those uh, Battlefront games, like the old ones on the PS2 and Xbox, those are like still good. I, th- I maintain yeah, those hold sure. up. Uh, yeah, I never but... played those, but they're supposed to, I've, that's, I've heard that as well. Yeah. The new ones, I tried the first one when it came out, and it was fine, but it, it didn't impress me all that much. And this new one, um, I like. I think you got it right on right on the head when you said it's the arrogance. Um, I was reading online; some people were saying that it's it's harkening back to like what game companies were doing right before the game crash of '83. That's where, right. Like, yeah, they would just literally they'd be like, you know what? We'll put a Star Wars label on it, and kids will buy anything, and they'll <laughs> yeah. rush crap to market and like charge insane prices, and people lose confidence, and they don't want to buy this stuff anymore. And exactly, unfortunately, yeah. it seems to take longer now than it did back then. But yeah, it is definitely happening. People are not buying that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, think- it seems like it's really not selling very well now. I, I think the other thing too is it's this whole insidious push towards games as a service as opposed to games as a thing you buy and own. Like, right. This is always online DLC forever, microtransactions everywhere. Everything's a loot box slot machine thing that like, it just makes me want to be like, you know what? I'm just going for with the retro games. You know, yeah. I'll live in the eighties <laughs> and the nineties. <laughs> That's what I do. That's how I roll, man. I've been playing, uh, <laughs> Road Rash 64 today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. You really do love that game, don't you? I love that game. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so there's the uh, there's the lowdown on the EA situation. Pretty, uh, pretty terrible, actually. I was kind of hoping. I was like, you know, uh, I don't think the their previous Battlefront had these issues, but it turned out to be, like, from my understanding and from what I saw, it seemed to be just a pretty overall dull game. So I was actually kind of hoping that maybe this would turn out to be good. You know, I was like, you know, a good Star Wars shooter would be tons of fun to play. There hasn't been one of those in a very long time. I'd really like to have a good one to play. Hopefully this turns out well. Uh, so, I, so you know, maybe I'll give this one a shot, but uh, it did not turn out <laughs> well at all in any, I was... in any way. I was also rooting for it. I mean, it, it yeah. kind of sounded semi-interesting. There was like a plot that took place after Return of the Jedi. I was kind of, I was intrigued by that notion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another issue with this is like these AAA games these days, like they spend so much money on them, 
um, to produce like the cleanest, best quality graphics and all this. And then they put themselves in a situation where like if everyone doesn't pay $200 for this thing, they can't break even. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But, but like indie games are showing you don't need to have the everything be the absolute best. You know, you could make an amazing Star Wars shooter for probably a fraction of what it costs to develop Battlefront 2. And people would have loved it. You could have charged 60 bucks, free DLC, nothing, you know, and you would have made money. Exactly. Great point. Yeah, it yeah. is. Well, all right. So enough, enough salt. Let's let's move on to. Well, maybe not enough salt. We'll see what happens in the next <laughs> section of the uh, of the podcast. Let's talk about the games we've been playing. Um, would you guys? How do you guys want to do this? Do you all want me to go first? When you guys want to go first? Any? Uh, uh, you can go first. Or or should I? Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Robert, you're the star of the show. <laughs> You okay. lead us in by example. Good point. Good point. All right. I played Simon the Sorcerer. And I meant to look up the year. I think this was 95? Uh, 93? Uh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. 1993. This is a PC game. Came out in 1993. It is a Sierra point-and-click adventure game. I was going to say, I guarantee you this is a point-and-click. Oh. <laughs> um. If you listen to the podcast very much, you probably know that I uh, am a pretty big point-and-click adventure fan. You also probably know that I i don't think I've ever played a Sierra point-and-click adventure game that I actually enjoyed. <laughs> there are aspects of a lot of their games that I do enjoy, but overall I have yet to play one that I would say is a good game. Was Simon the Sorcerer. Is, well, the problem with Sierra point-and-click games there are a number of problems the most prominent problem among them and this is actually not the case for simon the sorcerer simon the sorcerer is bad for other reasons but um this is actually one thing that they fix in simon the sorcerer in a lot of the sierra point and clicks they have situations where you didn't do something at one point in the game and then because you didn't do that thing, you can never your game the game becomes unbeatable. It's like something right. that you can't go back to and change or get or do. And but the, but at the same time they don't tell you that you needed to have done this or that thing. So you might play for 10 more hours. You might even get close to the end of the game and then all of a sudden you can't advance and you still don't even know why because you're maybe you're just like, "Oh, I just haven't figured out how to beat this, you know, this puzzle yet." But it turns out that there was something that you were supposed to do 15 hours ago that you didn't do, and now your your game save is completely screwed, and you have to start all the way over. If right. that is, if you ever find out what it was that you were that you didn't do in the first place. Yeah, and they don't even tell you like you're stuck. It's just after an hour of wandering around, you realize exactly, exactly, and it's and it's more than an hour because like a lot of times in these games, it's not uncommon to be just kind of stuck in general for an hour before you figure out. Oh, this is what I need to do. So that's kind of what makes it even worse is you might just think, oh, well, I just haven't figured it out yet. And you keep on playing, keep on playing, keep on playing when really their hope was all was lost long ago. <laughs> it's kind of cruel when you think about it. Oh, it's extremely it's cruel. <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, so that's the biggest problem with a lot of uh, Sierra games. Now, Simon the Sorcerer... That's actually one thing that they fix in this game. Uh, as far as I know, there are no dead-end states like that. I don't think there are any situations... I may be wrong. I don't think there are any situations that you can get in where the game becomes unbeatable. 
So side of the sorcerer, let's start from the top. It is, uh, you are this like teenager and through like, I have no fucking clue. Like how, like what happens basically in the first, like three little scenes that set the uh, stage of the game. Cause it shows him like in his bedroom studying or something like that. And then it shows his dog in the attic and I forget what happens, but like his dog does something and like a magical portal opens up in his attic. And then he walks through his magical, this magical portal. And all of a sudden he's like, he falls down and he's like surrounded by trolls or something like that. And then like all of a sudden he's wearing a wizard's robe and like walking into this random little wizard's house. Like, I don't know what in the world is supposed to be happening. Maybe sweet I just a lot of early games started randomly like that. Dog. Yeah, that's that, you know maybe maybe some of them do, and maybe I just wasn't paying good enough attention. But I was just like, by the time I had control of the character, I was like, what in the hell is happening right now? Uh, so these random things happen. Simon is now wearing a wizard's robe and a wizard's hat, and he's in another wizard's house. Uh, but the the wizard's house that he's in is not there. You find a letter from him, and he basically says, "Oh, congratulations! Uh, you've been chosen to save me from this evil sorcerer. So please come save me now, if you will." And uh, and that's and that's and it says, "Oh, by the way, go." Uh, I bet if you go, there are these wizards that hang out at the bar nearby or at the pub. If you go talk to them, they can probably help you out and tell you like what you need to do, uh, get you set on the right path to come save me or whatever. So that's basically the premise of this game. You're this kid who all of a sudden becomes a wizard in like a fantasy world. Just a lot of games tried to do that back then. They tried to like, yeah, oh, you, it's just a regular everyday kid, and he gets sucked into the video game world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's a very common. Uh, theme for some of those games at the time yeah 1993 that, that yeah not an uncommon story for uh for 1993 at least not the premise uh, or at least the premise and so so that's that's where that's that's where you start now this game this point and click adventure game actually has a lot of uh similarities to lucasarts point and click adventure games uh much more so than sierra games usually had uh and most of those are for the better. So, unlike most Sierra games at the time, this did have a the verb interface, just like LucasArts games had, where it's got, like, you know, you click on look at, open, walk to, pick up, use, that kind of stuff to uh, to use items in your inventory and all that, as opposed to having the little walk, as opposed to having little five little icons that you just kind of cycle through on the cursor where you walk or it turns into an eyeball to look at something or it turns into a hand to, you know, touch or pick up or push or whatever. Right. Um, and that's kind of a preference thing. I, I like the verb interface better, but that may just be because that's what Lucasfilm or what LucasArts used. And those, those games were just better in general. So that, 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 that but that's the, the first kind of obvious difference that you noticed that, that was not common for, uh, none of the other Sierra games had this at the time. So there's that. It's also got, uh, and I don't have any good examples. I didn't, I, I, I didn't write down anything, but I feel like the humor is a lot more on point in this one uh, than in a lot of the Sierra games. And that's that was also, it also reminded me of LucasArts point and clicks. Like the humor is actually pretty funny as opposed to like Leisure Suit Larry where like everything is just a super <laughs> cheap joke. Uh, and even to some extent, Roger Wilco. Like I actually, like the Space Quest series, 
out of all the Sierra series that I've played, Space Quest is probably my favorite, even though they're still not very good. And uh, that those have some pretty good humor, but they're still like some of it's just like funny just because it's so stupid. Where like a lot of this was actually I think pretty funny. So that was good. Yeah. Another thing, and I didn't even realize, I never really thought about this until uh, I started playing it. In most Sierra games, you don't have uh, dialogue choices, or at least you have very few dialogue choices. Whereas in LucasArts, like, just about every time your character talks, you have four options to choose from on what you're going to say. This also has that. Basically, anytime it's time for Simon to say something, you have three, four, or five options to choose from. It gives you, you know, a little bit more control over the character. You get to see, like, you know, f- you know, multi- you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a couple like funny options to choose from. So that that was a little bit different as well. I liked that. Um, and you know, it it even starts off very similarly to the way that Monkey Island starts off with, or the the way that Monkey Island starts off in uh, in Monkey Island. The very first one, The Secret of Monkey Island, the main character, Guy Threepwood, walks on screen and he says, I want to be a mighty pirate. You go and talk to uh, this this one guy that's nearby and he says, oh, well, if you want to be a pirate, you need to go talk to these three important looking pirates at the bar and they'll tell you how to become a pirate. Very, very similar to the way Simon the Sorcerer starts off. Simon the Sorcerer. Simon is all of a sudden out of nowhere wanting to become a sorcerer and he's told, Hey, go to the bar, talk to these, uh, talk to these wizards. They'll tell you what you need to do to become a powerful uh, sorcerer. So I thought that, I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if they were kind of taking some cues from, uh, from monkey Island, but that, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, another thing that's sorry, go on. era game. Because it sounds like it's it's very different from some of the earlier Sierra games, and they're taking a lot of cues from LucasArts. Yeah, this one is uh, a a little bit later. It's ninety three, so I guess really not even that much later. And maybe you know, actually, compared to uh, a lot of the King's Quest games, maybe I think a lot of those actually even came after this. That's a good point. Uh, let's see. I want to say I'm just gonna look up King. I'm just gonna look up a random one each. So King's Quest five. Came out in 1990. Wow, okay. I wonder when King's Quest like 7 came out. 7 was 94. So maybe this would be considered maybe kind of like a later one. Let's see. Space Quest 5 was 93. So so I guess it, I it seems like maybe a little bit on the tail end, but kind of in the midst of all of it. Yeah. Is when Simon the Sorcerer came out. Um, another thing that was surprisingly good about the game is the voice acting. Uh... Really, I mean, for any game in 1993, to have good voice acting was kind of rare. Uh, and this one really does have good voice acting. I All of the characters sound unique. They all sound good. Most of them sound interesting. Uh, that was not common at this time, especially for Sierra games. On Sierra games, like, especially in the King's Quest series, they the voice acting is absolutely terrible. You can tell that they just grabbed, like, random... <laughs> like developers or somebody just to say a lot of the lines uh, because it just sounds so bland. It's like so uh, lacking in energy that the voice acting is really just bad in most of those games. I think that's so, what they did commonly back in the day. Yeah. Just got random guys. Yeah. It seems Do you like know, it. or is it actual actors in this game or it's, I mean, it... I can, I cannot imagine it not being 
like professional voice actors. Yeah. Uh, because they're all like really good. And a lot of them, you know, are really nuanced as well. Cause they're playing these like weird characters, you know, like fantasy style characters or even like little heroes that you see in the pub and stuff. Just the way that they talk, uh, comes across pretty well. There, there are maybe one or two here or there that, that kind of sound weird. There's a troll guarding a bridge that, uh, is really, really awkward sounding. <clears throat> He's like, talks so he like i can't even describe it. he talks like so dull and quietly but he also uses like a really really strange intonation almost like he's halfway singing when he talks it's really really awkward but uh for the most Weird. part they really did a good job with the voice acting so like 5 10 15 minutes into the game i was like wow this this is doing a whole lot of things so much better than sierra point and click games do Maybe this is going to turn out to be a good game. Well, it, it, it did not actually turn out to be a good game. <laughs> Once you start playing the game, uh, there is basically... Th- there are a couple problems that all sort of combine. They, they all sort of go together. There's very little direction on what you're supposed to do. When you go talk to the uh, the wizards that you're supposed to talk to, they basically say, like, after you, fin- after you finally convince them to, like, give you some idea of what you can be doing... They basically say, okay, well, uh, there's this staff, and if you can bring it to us, then um, then we'll help you out. And then you're like, well, do you know where it is? And they're like, no, it's probably, you know, like around here somewhere. It's like around in this world. That's basically all we know. And that's all that you get. Like, there's a staff somewhere, and if you find it, they'll help you out. So you So you walk around and you start exploring. There are a million screens... To go find stuff in. There are so, so, so many, like, areas in the game where, like, there's a house here, there's a talking tree here, there's a monster here, there's some talking goats here, there's a sad guy here, there's another sad guy here, there's a witch's hut here, there's a little lizard here, there's a snow area here, there's a dragon in this place, there's a, uh, there's a hole in the ground over here that's kind of weird. Here's a, here's a cave that goes to dwarves uh, in this spot. Here's another little house. Here are a million screens in between where there's not really anything, but you have to walk through them to get somewhere else. And not only that, but it's like a maze to get from one to the other. Like you would have to... So so I got fed up with this game after a few hours and I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I just can't handle it. But I will like, I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is just read a walkthrough and uh, just go through the game so I can kind of see what happens, see if it you know, gets better, that kind of stuff. If I had not done that, I could not imagine ever beating this game, much less doing so in less than like 60 hours. Because getting from one place to another, assuming, first of all, you have to assume that you're not just like wandering around trying to figure out what to do, which is a huge, which is a huge problem. But also, even if you know where you're supposed to go, I would not have been able to get anywhere, anywhere, without knowing, without having like explicit directions on how to get to this place or that. Cause everything, right. everything is found like off in these woods. And like every time you click on a path in the woods, you walk here, there's like, it branches off. Like every place branches off into five other places. And then, so you're like, okay, so I'm guess I'm going to go like Southwest on this screen. Okay. Now there's five more options. All right. Now I'm going to go, east okay now there's five more options 
oh, oh here's God. this one has like a house but if this other way goes to more paths it is impossible to keep up with where you are like i don't know what they were thinking but it is insane like i don't know how they could expect anybody like you you would have to be writing stuff out and somehow trying to draw a map to have any clue how to get back to any of these places it is i cannot stress how insane it is yeah Um, i remember doing that for games as a kid like uh it it sounds like you definitely would have to be jotting down what goes where and stuff for like a maze like that yeah yeah sounds like they counted on you to do stuff like that it kind of does i i would imagine this is this was kind of back in the day where it's like if they were able to add uh you know hours on to how long it takes to beat the game like that was considered a good thing right 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 yeah that's uh jay was saying earlier like talking about how hard games used to be uh i think that's one reason because it just adds to the hours that it adds to the gameplay yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's more BS reasoning right there that it's just like, <laughs> oh, you got to draw maps and write <laughs> lists and all that sort of stuff. So there's that. There's the uh, lack of direction. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Not only that, once you start going and exploring these places and say you find like a house with a guy in it, you talk to him. Or in this one area, there's a guy playing like a trombone or something like that and you can talk to him. None of it like does anything to all right there are two problems one of it one thing none of it does anything to do anything to it actually advance the story it's all just random puzzles for the sake of being a puzzle uh which is very disappointing because like you're you're doing all these random things but you're like well what's like why is this important why is that important the story does not advance whatsoever throughout 90 percent of the game I feel uh, like this is a very sierra thing yeah. to have like a lot of the puzzles i remember in the classic sierra games it's like i don't know what how this is going to help me but i guess i'll do it yes yeah, exactly <laughs> that is the perfect way of describing it and that was going to be kind of and that's kind of that kind of goes along with what i was saying all of it is like okay well here's this thing here may, there's something i can do with it i don't know what good that's going to do but it seems like maybe these two things are supposed to go together let's just try them and see like there's one part where um Oh god! Like, there's this guy that's playing a uh, trumpet, or like I said, or trombone, or something like that. I think it's called—I don't know—it's called something weird. And um, it's like, what's what's the big giant horn that people play that like you have to wear basically? A tuba. 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 Okay, yeah, tuba. So he's playing something very much like a tuba, and like he doesn't say anything really to you. He doesn't like say, "Oh, like there's no there's no like the guy the the character serves no purpose." He's there playing a tuba. What you have to do is throw a watermelon into his tuba. And then like, because that makes him think that the tuba's broken. Cause apparently he didn't see or feel you throw the watermelon into it, but it stops playing. And so he like leaves it there and walks off and you take the tuba. Okay. And like, is there any indication that you need a tuba in this game? No, there's no indication that you need a tuba. <laughs> there's no, nothing like, like an integral part to getting to the staff. There's there's nobody who's like, oh, I really wish I had a tuba. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you do you do use the tuba later. You have to use it next to a giant that's sleeping, and it like bothers him, and it makes him like move and knock over a tree or something like that. But there's no there's no sense whatsoever. Like 
they don't give you any clue that, hey, you need to find a way to get this tuba, you know? Um, there's like, there's so much stuff like that. There's so many just random things. Like, here's a guy. You're probably going to have to do with something with him, but uh, but let's see if you can figure that out. Like, <laughs> he's like, no, I don't know what or why I would need to talk to this guy or do this or that. It's so many just random things that like eventually add up to getting you somewhere that it's just asinine. Um, I think that was the big divider between Sierra and LucasArts games. Yeah. Um, like I played a lot of Sierra games as a kid. I didn't really know about LucasArts that much growing up. So I do have like a nostalgic soft spot for them. Uh-huh. They feel very aimless where like you're just wandering around, not sure what to do. There's thousands of screens like whereas like in LucasArts games it's you're in like a constrained area and until you solve a couple of puzzles you can't get to the next spot so they yep. don't overwhelm you with too much exactly at once, right yeah exactly yeah. and all of the stuff that you do do it's like okay now this happened and then you feel most of the time you feel like okay the the story actually advanced a little bit here or uh or the 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 point of reference that I always use is is Monkey Island, not just because I love the game so much, but also because I feel like it does so much correctly. And in Monkey Island, once you talk to the guys, the pirates, and they're like, all right, well, you need to do these three things. Well, you kind of have an idea of where those things are and like what you eventually need to get done. It's like, oh, you need to steal this thing from the mansion. Okay, there's the mansion. I can't get there yet, but I see where it is, and I'm going to try to figure out a way to get there. Or, like, you got to get this treasure. Okay, well, I know the treasure is in these woods somewhere. I don't know how to navigate through the woods. But, like, you know, I at least, like, have some point of reference on what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Your goals. Yeah. Whereas this is just, like, good luck. Here's a million <laughs> random things. Try to just do everything that you can think of. Uh, and even playing with, like, the walkthrough and just doing it step by step, what it said, it took so long there are just like so like I feel like almost a broken record, but it just takes so long, even knowing exactly what to do, where to go, in the order that you're supposed to do it. It's just so tedious doing all the things that you have to do because again, none of it does anything to actually advance the story. Uh, it takes forever to get from one place to the next. Assuming again, even with directions on exactly how to get there and do this, it just takes so long. And then like the whole entire game is you just getting to the end, and then, like, when you finally finish the game, then, like, the plot takes one step forward. It's like, ah, oh, you saved the guy. The end. <laughs> and that's, that's it. So do you ever use any magic in this game? It's Simon the Sorcerer, right? Si- yeah, it's... Si- yeah. God, you know, try to remember when... They're all watermelons and tubas. If you <laughs> use magic... Like, there are certainly magic things that happen. Like, there is... Like a like a woman that turns into a pig, and then there's like there's some magic beans and this kind of stuff, um, but I actually don't know if Simon does any magic. Now that you say that, I think there may be like one or two parts, where, like near the end, where he does or something like that. I'm so, hung yeah. up on the on the watermelons and tubas. It sounds like something out of Plants vs Zombies <laughs> or something like that. It does, like your it? your long range zombies or your long range uh, plants that you, your watermelon plants play tubas for some reason and they launch watermelons. I don't know. And like another example, I'll make this be the last one, but just to kind of give you an idea, even the ones that aren't totally random like that, you still don't know why you're doing the things you're doing. So there's one part where there's these um, 
bugs on a log. And they're like, oh, if you bring us some of this particular kind of wood, we'd really, really appreciate it. And so, I mean, yes, that tells you what you're supposed to do. Let's find some wood for these for these bugs. But then, like, but you don't have any real reason to be helping the bugs in the first place. You're like, why do I care what these bugs want me to do? It's not like, oh, hey, uh, we're going to find, we know where the wand is. Maybe we'll give you a clue if you help us. They're just like, we like this kind of wood. Please get us some. So it's like everything is just so random is, is what it kind of comes down to. No, everything basically just seems pointless throughout the whole game. I find it interesting that you still you, you love point and click games so much that you still got to like power your way through these. <laughs> I, I know, know that. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if it's so much the love of point and click adventure games that took me through it. Is it just was that like, I want to see how this turns out so I can talk about how bad it is even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works too. That works just fine. <laughs> I wanted but, to bring up real quick, you, yeah. all the way back when you were talking about voice acting and games back then, mm-hmm. um, there was a game that my brother bought for PC, um, if you guys have heard of Lands of Lore, it's a Westwood game. Uh, no. That sounds okay. super familiar, but I don't, well, I'm pulling it up. It was advertised, I don't know if it was the first game or the second game or what, but it had um, a huge, like right on the front box cover. Uh, King whoever is voiced by Patrick Stewart, and it had his oh, picture really? right there. <laughs> had Patrick Stewart's picture? Yeah, Patrick Stewart's picture right on the front cover. <laughs> and, and I remember seeing like the rest of the cast, and I was like, "Who the hell are these people?" And then it was my brother's game, so I just watched him play it off and on. And he, when Patrick Stewart's parts came up, first of all, he didn't hardly had any parts at all, and second, he sounded so. Like, I'm voicing a video game character. <laughs> it was, like, really over the top and just not... It did not sound like him acting. Like, it sounded like him cashing a paycheck. So, <laughs> it's really interesting to... You know, it's a good point about the voice acting back then. Because even when they got a real voice... You know, a real actor. It's like, there still wasn't that uh, seriousness taken with video games. Especially back then. Um Gosh, probably I'm trying to think of the first game where I heard like really good voice acting. I couldn't even tell you what it is. I, I like feel the, like, the I Command and Conquer series. They that's were a good point. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. But you know, those weren't so much voice acted as just acted. Yeah, that was acting. But I mean, yeah, they, I, 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 those were like good enough. I feel like they were like kind of cheesy, but like cheesy in a good way. You know, I remember thinking they were good back then. Oh really? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, then again, I wasn't, you know, I was used to playing like doom hacks and stuff like that back then. So, or like (laughs) Z doom or whatever that was called. So (laughs) I, I did, I wasn't exposed to a lot of, uh, voice acting games, but when I got into that series, it was, I was like, Hey, these guys are, that sounds pretty good to me, but then I haven't touched those games in, god almost 20 years now so yeah i think uh i'm trying to remember what the first voice acted game i played on pc was it was it may have been king's quest which is (laughs) terrible yes it is (laughs) the game and the voice acting um but another one that comes to mind another early one was sam and max and that actually had pretty good voice acting huh that was lucas arts though so that that explains it it wasn't it definitely was not Sierra. 
LucasArts was always on like the high end of the, like the production. Like every everything looked really nice. Their animations were very like colorful and smooth and um yeah. Yeah. I could never afford a sound blaster, so it's like my I was always on the PC speaker, so I did not get voice <laughs> acting for a long time. Oh, right. <laughs> sound blaster. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. title that brings me brings me back. I that's remember cool. when I remember when we got sound when, when we got Sound Blaster and it like even came with its own demo disc. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a parrot that you could like make say words or something like that. Oh my god. Man. I'm telling you, if I could go back to late nineties, early two thousands PC stuff, hell yeah. Bring it on Serious Sam, all those games. Really? I think Nukem I 3D think... had voice acting. He said stuff. Uh yeah, that's true. He said stuff. <laughs> Dude, I think we need a. I think uh, Alex. I think we need a DOS drunk channel. I'm sorry. We need a what? DOS drunk. DOS drunk. <laughs> Man, what else did I play back then? I played Rise of the Triad. Um, it was like a first person shooter where you played like kind of a mage. So you had like a hand in front of you instead of a gun, and you would like cast oh, spells really? and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. It was really violent. I remember it being. I haven't played it in so long, but. There was that. There was uh, Blake's. The Blake Stone games were really fun. I checked out of consoles at that time, man. I was sure, all yeah. about PC in the late nineties. Right. two thousand. Oh yeah. Oh man, that was a killer. That, Good I, stuff. I, I, yeah, I spent so much time <laughs> on that one. All right, I'm going to uh, hit a randomizer so we can decide who goes next. Do it, up. Jay. Jay, you're up. All right. Um... Well, I don't have nearly as detailed a, a playthrough of a of a particular game, um, but uh, this past weekend um, I cracked out some Doctor Mario with some friends. That's oh, nice! I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one friend who uh, literally used to just turn on the radio on Sunday nights and sit in his room and play just Dr. Mario. Like, like to the, when he was in university, <laughs> not like when he was a kid, but like, um, and he, he it's funny. Cause like you, you know, you try and sit him down to play video games. He's usually not that interested, but there's like a couple of old ones. That if you just put it on the TV, like his ears perk up. And then all of a sudden it's like, he is there, uh, playing games. And, uh, so, we were playing some uh, some two player. I had a few friends. We we're like cycling through, and uh, he we set him on like the highest the highest difficulty you could go with the highest speed, and then we'd all be on lower speeds trying to uh, play against him. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> I I really like those kind of like puzzle game, like Tetris, Doctor Mario, those kinds of things. Um, I was always I would never say amazing, but like I could hold my own more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I always liked the. Com- I feel like the competitive aspect to those games was always really fun. So in Doctor Mario, so for people who don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't know, but if you don't know, there's all these different colored viruses, and you have to drop uh, Mario's dropping pills into this area where all the viruses are, and the pills are different colors, and you have to line up uh, like four colors in a row to get rid of the viruses, like Connect Four, basically, and then they disappear, like in Tetris. And if you get combos where dropping one pill causes a bunch of stuff to happen and wipes out more than one virus, then you can drop little pellets on your your friend. So 
it's always it's always entertaining when you can do something to screw over your friends when you're playing video games. It really is. It's like <laughs> genuinely a really good like that multiplayer was, mechanic. That was a game where you, that was one of the first games where you could do that, right? In the in a multiplayer sense, where yeah, I, I want to say like Bust a Move was another game where you could what you did affected the other player. That one was much later, right? Bust a move. Yeah, I think that was much later, but that's yeah. like just what came to mind. I, I'm trying to think of something else that would have come first. Because I, because I know later on, um, there's competitive games of Tetris where you can play two players, and if you get like Tetris lines, then it adds lines to your opponent. Oh but I yeah, think that came after Doctor Mario. I think Doctor Mario. Yeah, no, that. First. That's like Tetris Battle Gaiden, which was in on Super Famicom. That's that kind of stuff came yeah much after dr mario yeah i don't yeah. think anything came before that for that i wonder if that actually had a hand in you know coming up with that idea that's because that's the be- that's one of the f- most fun things about that game is is the multiplayer yeah. aspect yeah just and then like looking over in your friend's screen and seeing that one giant pillar of pills <laughs> to the top and they, yeah. what are they so gonna great. do with that that's so great but the Famicom one is strange because the original Famicom, the controllers were built into the console. So yeah. you couldn't unplug them. And they also sat in the console. They were like kind of holsters on the side almost that so they slid in. So Nintendo reproduced all of that for the Famicom Mini. But because it's a mini console, that means that the Famicom Mini's controller is like a baby-sized controller. It's very strange. <laughs> what? Yeah, it is. It is I didn't tiny. know that. It's about half the size of a regular NES controller. So wow. on top of playing Dr. Mario, having some drinks and so on and frustrating each other, we're also playing, you know, we're full grown men playing with these like tiny little <laughs> controllers. <laughs> um, I did not know that. So it's the mini Famicom has mini controllers, too. Yeah. I had it's no idea. That's crazy. The weirdest thing, because like I always wanted a Famicom, and when the Mi- Famicom Mini came along, I thought, oh, that'd be like a nice little piece because it's like I could still display it, but at least it'd be functional with like modern TVs and stuff. But yeah, it's tiny, tiny controllers. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen um, that th- before, and I was, I always, like every time I see a picture and it, and I see it with like the like these are the little holsters with controllers. I'm like. I've had forgotten that I see that before. I'm like, oh, that's weird. But I never thought about them being so small to be able to fit that. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I ordered the Famicom Mini. And then like the day after I ordered it, I was like, wait, are the controllers going to be little? And I Googled it. And I was like, oh, I guess they are. So <laughs> uh, I don't play it often. Um, in fact, playing uh, Dr. Mario is the most use I've seen out of it since. But uh, but it, it you know what? Uh, after like a couple of minutes with it you kind of forget like your hand adapts and like like i don't know about you guys but i don't really think about my fingers too much when i'm playing they just kind of do what they have to right. do so yeah um so i did that recently um and uh the other game that i was playing recently that isn't quite as retro but it kind of touches on uh what you were talking about robert is i was playing one of the telltale games actually the telltale adventure games oh cool um I was playing the they came out with a new season of the Batman um, uh, adventure games. Ooh, hey, hey, sa- save this. We'll talk about this at the end. Oh, at the end. OK, yeah. I, will save I want to hear I want to hear about this because I'm actually curious about I've been curious about that series. OK, yeah, I'll save it. So. All right. So that's it for you and classic yep. stuff. All right. 
Okay, so what uh, I've been playing, what I should just talk about what I've been playing today. It's a game I can't get enough of. It's Road Rash 64. <laughs> um, I don't own an N64 anymore. The I went through three of them. Damn. Um, I bought one back in the early 2000s. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it just... I'm trying to remember what happened to it. I think the power just went out, and so I just got rid of it. I got another one right after that. That one lasted several years, and then it stopped turning on. And then I got another one after that when I got into a big like collecting phase, and uh, that one died too. I forget the problem <laughs> that one had. But one of the games I had was Road Rash 64, and the game is amazing because it's so simple. <laughs> you just You get on a... Bu- like, you know, if you know the Road Rash series, you know this game. Like, you just get on a bike, you have a bunch of weapons, and you beat the crap out of every other racer. Such In a simple meantime, but genius premise. Yes. It, and the thing that this game gets good are, are a few different things that makes this game stand out among the rest of the, the voice Road Rash acting. games. The, yes, the sound design, where you hear these, these racers when they get hit. It's like, whoa! it's so cartoony and so ridiculous it's fantastic i can't get enough of it it's so much fun um the kinds of weapons you use you you get tasers you get mace you get sledgehammers like it's just absurd the kind of stuff you can use um seems like it'd be hard to use a sledgehammer on a bike (laughs) it's like this giant hammer thing and you expect the guy to tip over when he picks it up but it's it's surprisingly somehow the game physics agree with his (laughs) particular choice of carnage so it it works somehow but another thing that this particular road rash gets right is the camera angle is like out a little bit further and down a little or i should say up a little bit further where the other games are kind of down closer to the road especially the genesis games so you're able to see a lot more of the other racers and where they are. So you're able to find them and subsequently beat the crap out of them. So it's <laughs> the game is basically seek and destroy, but in a race context. Um, but what makes the game kind of even more interesting and add another level on top of that is that when you get to a certain point of uh progressing through the game like you you know you you got to qualify in the top three and then you qualify to the next circuit just like any other racing game the next circuit to the next circuit and when you get to the last circuit the races are so long and so brutal and the weapons are so cutthroat that you're just trying to survive like it does not matter uh Beating up other players doesn't matter like it, you just try and hold on for dear life to try and qualify it's kind of interesting and that's where i'm at right now is i'm just trying to hold on and survive like you crash so much towards the end and um there's a meter you can only once you upgrade your bike you can only crash about like seven or eight times give or take one or two and uh, depending on how you crash what other what what kind of like horrible way you crash if you go slam into a building (laughs) or careen into oncoming traffic or whatever it's uh it's crazy. Like it's it's my favorite kind of game because it's just chaos. It's 
it's sledgehammers it's it's tasers it's it's stuff like that i love that i love that game it's and and plus the the wacky sound design that's like straight out of a out of a i don't even know how to describe it's just i never um somehow like didn't even know this game existed until you know like not too long ago when you were when you had it on your channel and one of well, the th- there's a lot of road rat. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, one of the things that surprised me about it is it having like the full 3D polygonal graphics and not just the sprites like all the other road rashes did. Yeah. It looks, it's like yeah. almost kind of startling to see it at first. Because when you think road, like when I think road rash, I have a very specific type of image in my head. Yeah. And like, this is not that. No, it's not. It does the weird N64 polygon thing. Which is super goofy, and it's. I got a lot of comments on the video I posted uh, last week saying it's the ugliest game I've ever seen. <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty ugly. Um, it's got your typical N sixty four bleariness. I don't typically like N sixty four games at all. Um, that's why this is one of my favorites because it's so simple. But it's, and it's got the gray fog in the background too, which is always you know very pleasant but yeah if you look at the 3do road rash or i think there's what is it a 30 is it either a sega cd or a 32x road rash or something like that i think i I know there's a sega cd one i think there may be just a regular sega genesis one as well oh there's three sega genesis ones at least okay um and then there's like a panasonic 3do one that has like soundgarden on the soundtrack oh yeah i actually had that game yeah yeah, that's the other thing about these games is they have really cool soundtracks. Like this one, the N sixty four one has like Sugar Ray back when they were a punk band, and <laughs> b- before the guy you know left the band to join Hollywood Access Access Hollywood or whatever that show is called, and uh, and CIV that's the band and like to lots- get you in the mood for some road ration. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put on the Sugar Ray and get my sledgehammer. <laughs> So much fun. Love that game. It's the best. Awesome. Uh, so Road Rash. So you feel like this is like one of the better Road Rash games then, right? Like you like it better it's, than the others? I, I like it a lot better than the... Um, I mean, get, Don't get me wrong. The Sega Genesis ones are fun. The 3DO one is fun. I haven't played it in a really long time, but I remember it being a lot of fun. And uh, the thing is, though, is that when you consider the context of the N64, or at least for me personally, I don't really like, I don't really go out of my way to play like Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time on N64 or any of that stuff. I would rather play stuff like this. That's just me. I know I'm weird, but that's kind of my feeling on it. All right. Very cool. Let's go on to uh, top fives. So our top five uh, list this time, I had a little bit of trouble (laughs) figuring out the best way to word this. (laughs) Uh, The idea was, so when I was figuring this out, it was when uh, Jay, Jay David, Gaming Jay, was going to be joining us like two weeks ago. And I was trying to come up with an idea and I was like, I was kind of like, what if instead of... 1,001 games to play before you die? What if it was five games to play before you die? And they had to condense the whole book down to five games. So so I kind of went with that idea. And I was like, all right, let's do... Uh, if you have to pick five video games and say these 
five games are the most representative five games that I can pick out uh, and, and, uh, and be the most representative of video games in general. These are the five. So a much cleaner way of saying that is uh, top five games that are the most representative of all of video gaming. That's our list this time. Now, this is a little bit different from usual. We were discussing this just before we started recording and that uh, given this list, it's not really a, you know, top five, five, number five down to number one list. It's kind of like you have to take them all collectively and say these five together are most representative of video games. Um, So what we're going to do this time is we're not going to do our typical everybody says, you know, says number five, then everybody says they're number four. We're going to go one person at a time and they're going to give us their sort of group of five collective games that uh, they feel are the most representative. Alex, I'm not sure if if you got this memo, but one, one uh, minor stipulation that we came up with beforehand was we're not going to include Super Mario. We're going to assume that that's a given. Super Mario Brothers for NES. Oh, sure. No, um, that's not one of my five anyway. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, Jay Totoro and I kind of were like, you know what? That's going to be on everybody's list regardless, or probably going to be on everybody's list. So let's just say, don't include that one. We'll assume that's a given. So it's kind of like sort of almost saying the six most, uh, representative games, (laughs) including super Mario. What are the five others? So, um, super Mario one or any Mario. Uh, I was kind of just thinking of super Mario one. I assumed maybe incorrectly that that would be on many people's lists for this. I know it was going to be on mine for sure. I, I talked to Jay and he said, yeah, he thinks it was an obvious one. So we decided to leave that one off and just kind of take that one as a given. So um, our top five games that we feel are most representative of video gaming in general, I'm going to hit the randomizer and Jay, you're going to give us your five first. Alrighty. I feel like the randomizer likes me tonight. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, I have five games, and actually, having just clarified that uh, other Marios are game, actually going to include Super Mario Brothers 3, actually, okay. as one of my first picks. Um, and the reason that I went with that one is that I think it is a platformer that set the stage for a lot of stuff that came afterwards. Um, it's kind of been the template that not only Mario games, but a lot of different platformer and even non-platformer games have used with the overworld and then the levels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario that's 3, I point, mean, it's yeah. a... Yeah, go on. No, I just said that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mario 3 was like the biggest Mario game, or the biggest Nintendo game, in fact, I think, I ever remember as a kid. Um, I remember, do you guys remember the old commercials where there'd be all these kids shouting Mario, Mario, and then like the red and the blue shirts and stuff, and they'd zoom out and then <laughs> like on not... North America is like Mario's face of all the kids. I, I do not remember that. I remember that. Uh, it's, I wish I did. You should look it up. It's, it's, it's classic. It'll bring <laughs> some memories back. The only, um, the, only remember... Mario, the only Mario three commercial I remember is the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> that was a commercial, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, on that, Mario games start to get really zany with so much features, it's almost overwhelming. Not that they become bad or anything, but just um, I think Mario 3 is 
uh like just uh, a very representative uh game gotcha. of you know like a, a good solid nes platformer or not even nes but just a platformer in the early days cool yeah okay um okay uh the next game that i picked um, I definitely felt like I had to throw some kind of shooter in to this because shooters are such a big genre these days. Oh, yeah. Um, but I felt like it needed to be something classic, but maybe not too classic. And ultimately what I decided on, I don't know if you guys have heard of this before, but it's uh, Doom, but a version of Doom called Brutal Doom. Have you guys I don't, this? I don't think I have. Yeah. Is that the one that's super gory? Super, super gory. It's basically, it's a mod for Doom where people have taken Doom and they've modernized it. Kinds of features. So it has aim down sights. It has headshots. Right. It has, you can shoot people's limbs off them. It has basically all the trapping, you know, call it whatever. Um, but it's Doom. So it's simultaneously like one of the most classic, you know, it was, it's the shooter that, that created the first person shooter genre almost, um, you know, to the point where like when first person shooters were coming out in the early days, they're all called doom clones before the word first person shooter became a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I, I tried brutal doom a couple years ago and I was amazed at how modern it felt. Like if you add aim down sights, you add headshots, you add all the, the gore and stuff. Um, and it really feels like a, like a modern game. So I thought that that game would be good in the sense of it represents sort of the shooter genre, both old and new. And I think it also represents the modding community. And I think one big aspect of video games that I have always really enjoyed more on the PC end than anything, but it's the, the mods and the hacks that people come out with uh, for, for games. And even the, you know, people make their own levels and stuff for games. And that was always a big part of DOS gaming. Um, so number three, so as I was, so for number three, I felt like I had to include um, something from the strategy genre. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like to sort of represent uh, that aspect of gaming. And I have kind of been going back and forth between you know, either SimCity or StarCraft. Those were my picks for sort of filling this gap. Oh, cool. And it, I, I think, I mean, they're both great games. Uh, but I think I have ultimately decided that uh, StarCraft um, is a pretty good representative for the uh, both retro and modern and the sort of strategy um, side of gaming. Um, okay, then I was looking for some kind of RPG game. Uh, to sort of round out the genres. Um, and I think here's where I ended up siding towards something a little more casual than um, like a harder core RPG. Like I was trying to think like what would be a super iconic RPG. And I don't know if you consider it this or not. It's not Hold quite on. an RPG. Can I, can I just interrupt for one second? Sure. This is hilarious because I'm looking at my list and the first one is, all right, we need a shooter. Then we need a strategy game. Then we need an <laughs> RPG. <laughs> See, okay, well then, you know, we're tapping into the same current of gaming here. It's hilarious. We're on the same wavelength. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm interested to hear then what you picked for all of these things. Too. <laughs> um, so yeah, in thinking of RPG, I, I ended up landing on uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Path, which I know is not an RPG in the strictest sense. But it felt 
you know, I was trying to think of like what's what's like a super iconic, you know, ad- adventure RPG. And Legend of Zelda feels like a very light RPG. You explore sure. areas, you unlock new areas, you get new abilities. There's no experience points and and you know other things like that. So, um, and certainly it would make sense if you wanted to put a harder core RPG. But um, I I did I do feel like Legend of Zelda is also just tremendously influential as well. The same in the same way Mario influences platformers all across the gaming spectrum. I think Zelda, um, you know, it's it's basic mechanics influence so many different games um that it felt like yeah maybe you could sort of suit the purpose of an adventure rpg type game so um yeah so i I decided to go with that link to the past i don't think link to the past is the absolute best zelda game that's been made but it's interesting because the later zelda games even the ones they make today like on game boy and uh and stuff like that um, they still follow the template that was set down in Link to the Past, which is, uh, I think, pretty indicative of how fundamental the sort of gameplay mechanics that they they, you know, developed in that game really were. You know, uh, I would and that I, is act- go on. I would actually, I do think Link to the Past is the best Zelda game. Oh dear. <laughs> what uh, what would you say is the best in your opinion? Um, I or what are the I runners don't... for the best? Yeah. So. Um, I want to preface this by saying that uh, I have actually only played a couple of Zelda games in my day. Um, I played the NES ones, played this one, and I played the Game Boy one. And everything else I've only played like here and there in passing, just a little bits at a time. I think my own personal favorite is Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. Oh, um, yeah. I was one. just going to say and interrupt <laughs> and be like, can I just say Link's Awakening is freaking awesome and amazing and a trip yes the story in that game oh. literally made me cry as a kid oh it was crazy there was nothing else like that Damn, yeah I, to, I played a little bit of it but i'm definitely gonna have to go back and revisit this. oh it's so good it's so cleverly done when you keep in mind the limitations of the game boy as you just have to kind of keep it in context as you play when you play it today if you're playing it today for the first time but it's still so good i love that game yeah okay last game that i had to pick um i was just trying to think of like what is you know indicative of a game that like everyone has played and everyone would know um and the game i came up with was uh tetris actually nice that's a good one okay yeah Oh, Rob's back. Yeah, I'm You're back uh, once again. <laughs> Where? What's the last thing you heard? Uh, Tetris. <laughs> the beginning of Tetris or the end? The of beginning Tetris? of Tetris. Okay. Sadly, um, uh, I'm gonna have uh, to go visit my ISP tomorrow and give them a piece of my mind. Pay them a personal <laughs> visit. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll try and remember what I said. Feel free to jump don't, in. Yeah. Uh, don't if you can remember. Don't worry about getting like. I mean, it'll probably cut out again because it's so terrible night. So yeah, go do whatever you feel, say whatever you feel like saying. Don't feel obligated <laughs> okay. to. Do yeah. Yeah. No. Um, okay. So the last game that I decided to pick uh, was uh, Tetris. Uh, Tetris is a game that I think cuts across genres from uh, people who are 
you know, retired to people who are kids. You know, you can kind of sit everyone down in front of Tetris um, and have a good time with it. Um, and I think it's really indicative of sort of uh, what casual games can be at their best. It's a kind of game that just appeals to everyone. There's like a rewarding simplicity to it. Um, and it, you know, it kind of harkens back to like, you know, the Wii was successful because it appealed to so many different people, like everyone from kids to teenagers to adults to like, um, you know, people in their golden years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think Tetris is, is, uh, a game that is that was like that a long time ago and so i think everyone has fond memories of playing tetris everyone can play tetris and um you know you don't have to be good at tetris to have a fun time it's just satisfying to watch those little bars bleep and disappear so um yeah i think that rounds out what i would say are five really good representative games of gaming you know what the reason i like tetris so much on your list and i don't have one of the a game like this on mine but it's a really good example of a game that's entirely abstract. It's yes. not based on anything whatsoever in the real world. It's like, here are some shapes and here are some rules that we came <laughs> up with. And you're going to try to do this. And that's yep. like a very video gamey thing. It's like almost that in a way so the purest true. form of it. Yeah. And yep. so I'm kind of disappointed that I don't, I, I'm not a big Tetris fan, but I'm just kind of disappointed that I don't have anything like that on mine. Yeah, no, I was just telling him that while you got cut out again. <laughs> like, I wish I, like, I, I'd thought of that because it is a very, you, the way you put it was perfect. It's a very video gamey thing to have on there because it's so, it's, how do you just, like, when you think of video games, that's, that it should be, if it's not, it should be one of the first games you think of. I remember yeah. I was just saying to Jay, the way um, you described our thing on Twitter was just explain video games as if you would to an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's if you were to do that, like, I wish I'd thought of Tetris. Tetris is not on my list, though. Very good one. Oh, thank you. All right. So to recap, you had Mario 3, Brutal Doom, Starcraft... Tetris. Which one am I leaving out? Legend of Zelda. Legend Link of Zelda. Link to the past. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very solid list. Thank you. I believe yes. Alex is next. Do you want me to just read my email that I sent? Oh sure. Yeah. Go ahead. I read just. Hold on. I haven't looked at the whole thing. Is is that the entire email? Yeah, it is. Oh, well, I'll just read what read, I have. Okay, go ahead and go ahead and read. Go ahead. Uh, All right, let's skip the emails. Read, read, read your read your email. Go ahead and uh, you can start from the top if you want. All right, I'll just say what I wrote. Uh, and again, to mention that uh, Rob said uh, the the way I caught wind of this subject was when Rob described on Twitter, if aliens landed on Earth and you had to just give them five video games to say, hey, here's what video games are to humans. Here's here's the five. Exactly. So I said, hi, guys. Really interesting idea for a list this week because you could take it in all sorts of directions. For example, you could be really cynical and talk about how the video game industry evolved from the business side of things and include stuff like the failure of E.T. for Atari 2600 all the way up to blatant cash in games like FIFA 18 <laughs> or <laughs> or Battlefront. Um, <laughs> yeah, all that nonsense. <laughs> Or you could look at it from a purely artistic storytelling standpoint and include stuff like The Last of Us and Bioshock. 
And then I say, this is an extremely tough list to come up with. Qualifier, qualifier, blah, blah, blah. These are in no particular order. And it's funny. The first one, the first game I came up with was NBA Jam, the arcade version. And the reason that is, is because one important aspect of gaming is exaggerating the idea of reality. You take a normal game like basketball and all its established rules, parameters, and even normal basketball physics, and you exaggerate the hell out of them to the point that you see the ball engulfed in flames or even a, a guy, a white guy, jump 30 feet into the air for a 360-degree tomahawk dunk. <laughs> That's a really good one. I like, I like that idea of like exaggerated reality. Like, yeah, based so on reality, like, make it as fun as you can. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's that was kind of where I was coming from with my list was taking something that you see in everyday life and just turn it up to 11 as the <laughs> spinal tap guy would say yeah. <laughs> i don't know um, i like that too thank you <coughs> my voice cracked there. this one goes to 11 <laughs> my voice goes to yeah <laughs> goes great to job great job bro uh the next list or the next uh, game on my list is katamari damashi this game exaggerates reality even further, taking everyday household objects, vehicles, neighborhoods, and even entire cities, and reduces them to nothing but fodder as you roll them up to, into a giant ball. Also important with this game is how easy it is to get the hang of with the dual stick setup, so anyone can play it and progress through the game fairly easily. And that also happens to be one of my... If, if I had to list five of my favorite games of all time, Katamari, the, even the first Katamari is... Definitely one of my favorites. Oh, wow. Top and, five of all time? Oh, for sure. <laughs> awesome. I love That's that great. game. That's I great. love that game's vibe. I love the music. I love the simplicity of the gameplay. I love how freaking absolutely batshit crazy insane it is. It's, I love it all of that all stuff of as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, number three on my list is Portal because Ooh, it seems... It seamlessly combines puzzle solving and storytelling. Each puzzle slyly reveals your capabilities the further you progress, which parallels the story's sly reveal of what's really going on. This is another game that has reasonably simple pick-up-and-play mechanics, making it accessible for just about everyone. And, yeah, that's another one of those games where it's like, I'll never forget where I was the first time I played Portal, and, you know, it's one of those, I can't put it down because it's... Like, what the hell is this? Like, what, what's with this narrator person? What's with this? And at the same time, these puzzles are, are really interesting and strange and cool and something I've never seen before. So, Number four was Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. I haven't played this much myself, I have to admit, but I had to pick a game that represented group multiplayer and the modding community, so why not kill two birds with oh, one okay. stone with Skyrim? So that's... I don't have much to say about that game unless uh, you two have something to add about Skyrim. <laughs> I don't really have much about Skyrim. I actually haven't played Skyrim, if you can believe it. Yeah, no, I... I believe it. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those it's games list, that was, but... like, humongous when it came out. Yeah. But I feel like it's kind of... Uh, it was, like, super hyped, but turned out to be, like, just, a, you know, a not a bad game, but, like, a you know, a, a good game. And that's... But not much more than that, really. It's just more Elder Scrolls stuff. Like, if you're used to Elder Scrolls stuff, here's some more of it. You know, just... Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's how, that's how I perceived it. But Yeah. 
Anyway, number five on my list is Silent Hill 2. Oh, wow. Uh, this game is as good of an example of interactive storytelling as you're going to find. It's a well-paced and superbly directed game, and the premise leaves open so many possibilities that you want to keep playing just to see what happens next. It's all about the storytelling with this one. Silent Hill 2 may not be as accessible as the other games listed here, but everything is executed so well that it still remains a great representation of what video games are all about. And that was my email. <laughs> that was a and cool it's list. A, it's a horror game too, right? Like, not, yes. none of us have mentioned horror games yet until. Yeah, now. no, and it's not only a horror game; it's uh, really like psychedelic. Like, yep. what am I really seeing? What's really going on? Right. Kind of thing. So yeah. Uh, all right. So we're down to me now. Yes. Yep. And so, uh, as I said, my uh, the. <laughs> The kind of theory that I took to mine was very similar to the approach that, that Jay took to his. And I'm, I'm again, with my five, I'm kind of taking Super Mario Brothers for granted. That would have been in mine. Uh, but with that, with the platformer out of the way, these are the five that I came up with. The first one, I said we got to have a first-person shooter. Let's go with Doom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I went with Doom over, you know, the many other possibilities because... Mm-hmm. Not only is Doom... So, Doom, you kind of kill a couple birds with one stone. You've got, first off, a first-person shooter. Second of all, like, just a super hardcore, violent, like, demons. Like, just kind of, like, mindless fun action-type game. Like, there's no real story going on. It's just, like, here's a lot of, like, really hardcore-looking stuff. Here's, there's a lot of gore. There's, there's demons. It's just fun to go around blowing demons' heads off. It's like... It's like the base like type of like the most base type of fun you can have here's gore <laughs> of course here's demons you get to kill them like it doesn't get much more simple than that it's like road rash but with you know blown up demons exactly <laughs> i feel like doom is the kind of game that all parents used to think video games were all about <laughs> yes that's a great point <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, yeah. Just like it's how parents used to think all bands, all metal bands were Marilyn Manson. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. All right. For my second one, I was like, all right, we got to have a strategy game now. And for this one, even though I don't love this game, I there are lots of strategy games. I, I do like this game. There are a lot of other strategy games that I like more, though. But I'm going to go with Civ 4 because <laughs> this is a strategy game. It's also uh, a game that is based on history. So it kind of is like, it doesn't have to all just be made up stuff. We can have games that, or I, I say based on history, Semi-based on history, of course. Loosely. Loosely based on history. It's a game that can take, you know, elements from real-world situations and infuse them into some sort of fiction. Um, and then it's also kind of turn-based, which, I mean, I, you could have gone either way on that, but I thought that was kind of interesting to have something that's more, a little bit more uh, chess-like. Where, where I feel like when you go from... I love real-time strategy and turn-based strategy games, but I feel like when you go from real-time to uh, turn-based, you're kind of going a little bit more purely in the direction of strategy because you don't have to 
you don't have to worry about how fast you are, that kind of stuff. It's yeah, purely, totally it's yeah. purely like a thought game. And I think that's where I was going with that. This is the only mm-hmm. game that I have on my list where it's 100% about like, like literally 100% about outwitting your opponents and just, you know, thinking your way through the game in the best way possible. Yeah, so, I like that. So that's my strategy game. Then uh, I was like, well, we need an RPG, of course. Again, exactly like <laughs> Jay. And for this one, I'm going to go with Final Fantasy VII. Oh, I just, seven. Yeah. I Interesting. Just, well, you sound surprised at seven. Why is that surprising? Oh, no, I just, I've, I guess I've been in my own little uh, wormhole where I think... Uh, Enough people are are still talking about six being better than seven or nine being better than seven. So it's interesting to hear seven being brought up seven as one of the best again. Seven to me is like it's it's hard for me to say. I'm not like a huge RPG fan, so it's hard for me to say this or that is the best Final Fantasy game. But I feel like Final Fantasy seven has very broad appeal. Um. I think and a lot it, of people know the poster with the giant sword. That, there's that. And also, like, to me, Final Fantasy VII feels a little bit more accessible in the way that, like, I don't know. Final Fantasy VI is a great game, but for me, there's parts where it's kind of difficult, where you have to kind of push yourself to get through the game. Whereas Final Fantasy VII, I didn't feel that as much. It felt much more like I'm just kind of having fun the whole time most okay. n- now not the whole time uh i think the mini games that section where there's like all the mini games i think that part of the game is bad really i thought i kind of like the snowboarding mini game everybody i've talked to likes all the mini games i don't like any of them <laughs> <laughs> uh but like i don't know i don't really know what it is i can't it's hard for me to pinpoint it, but final fantasy 7 to me like just feels more fun it feels it feels like it's kind of having more fun with itself maybe is is the way that i would put it it's more accessible to more people yeah i think maybe that's maybe that's just maybe it's as simple as that maybe that's what it comes down to it's it's more accessible but it still has 100% of like all the basic tenets of a uh, of a turn based rpg yeah so uh so that's okay so that's my third one number 4 i'm going to go with gta san andreas Oh, all right. I was like, this is a game where... Okay, so we have our first-person shooter that kind of goes all out balls to the wall. Then we have our much more uh, kind of thoughtful uh, strategy game. Then we have an RPG, because you got to have an RPG. GTA San Andreas is just kind of like chaos slash fun things. Do whatever the hell you feel like doing just for fun. <laughs> it's like... You know, I think my first my first thought was, well, we have to have an open world game. And when GTA San Andreas came out, it was like the culmination of every uh, Grand Theft Auto game up to that point. It's like it's bigger than everything. There's more options to do stuff than anything else. It's just kind of like more fun. It's like so open. It gives you so many things like that you can just do just for fun. I mean, you can freaking fly around the city in a fighter jet and just like <laughs> shoot things, <laughs> shoot cars or shoot other planes out of the sky. If you want to, uh, for no reason whatsoever. Like it doesn't get much more video gamey than that. Just like flying a jet or stealing cars and crashing things and blowing stuff up for literally no reason at all. Um, yeah. I, I would actually 
thought of including a Grand Theft Auto myself, actually, because I, I completely agree with everything you said. It's it's totally the fantasy of you play games to do stuff you can't do in real life. And yeah, exactly. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah, I think that I think you just summed it up better than I did. Do things fantasy to do things that you can't do in real life. Um, and finally, I kind of had a hard time deciding what I was going to do for my fifth one, but I decided let's for the fifth one, let's do something that, uh, is an attempt at recreate. So all these are in some, to, to some extent, you know, really, uh, fantasy based or, you know, make believe based. Let's, let's create uh, maybe with the exception of Civ, but even that to some extent is still like, you're kind of coming up with your own reality in a sense. For the fifth one, I was like, let's come up with a game that is uh, 100% trying its hardest to base itself on something in reality. And for that, I'm going to go with basically any Madden game. (laughs) (laughs) You could could have done... There are many, many, many sports games that you could have done Mm -hmm. for this one. But uh, and maybe that's what it came down to, too, is like a sport. Because, you know, that's as far as kind of this requirement goes it's sports games that lends itself to recre- recreating something from the real world but also still making a game out of it well the easiest way to do that is make a game out of something that's already a game exactly so, <laughs> <laughs> so madden i guess is sort of like the like the quintessential example of a sports game so uh pretty much any madden game i'd probably go for either uh, like the Super like were there more than one Super Nintendo Madden or was it just the one, Alex? No, there were a lot of Maddens. And in fact, Madden was made by EA. EA was actually much better on Sega Genesis for whatever reason. All their games, there's the myth out there that all, all sports games are better on Sega Genesis. It's like, no, not really. Just it, the, the, the truth is, is that it's EA games that are better on Sega Genesis over okay. Super Nintendo. Sure. The, the frame rate sucks the, on Super Nintendo. There's less resolution. It's You can't see as much of the playing field and et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's why NHL 94 is such like a cult, has such a huge cult following to Oh, that was day. such a good game. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's one. That one still has like tournaments and stuff in Canada. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and so it's always I would go with I would I would amend that if I were you not to make your choice for you sorry but <laughs> it's Gen- I would say a Madden game on Genesis if you wanted to go with retro. Okay. How many do you know how many Madden games were on Super Nintendo? Early started in ninety two, and then ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Jeez, are those were However, all on Super Nintendo. I didn't. I had no yeah, clue. It goes all the way up to ninety eight. And which was the one that I played? I wonder. I and think... they what's go, go ahead. ahead. There you go. Well, I was going to say what's odd is that every couple of years they got a different developer. The first couple Maddens had a weird developer. I don't even can't remember off the top of my head what they were. Then they went on to 9495 was like Tiburon or something like that. And then. 96 97 98 were somebody else completely different hmm. so it's it was different it, they, they aren't consistent games all across the board they're not the same thing i want to say that the one that i played was the one that was just called john madden football that would have been the first one that would have been 92 okay i think that was the one that i mostly played on super nintendo 
That one had a really wonky frame rate. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really like it was like skipping every other frame, but it was still perfectly fine. Like it's still okay as long as you're used to that or as long as you allow yourself to get used to that. But Sure. Yeah, it's it's perfectly I still play the original Mad. Like if I had a choice <laughs> to play cuz that's what I started with too. So it's Okay. Yeah. I like that game. It was so much fun back in the day. Yeah. I had a um one of the I think it was one of the I could be wrong. I think it was a Joe Montana football game on Game Gear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My my best friend down the road had that same game. Oh, did he really? Oh, and every, yeah, he did. Every, I was so jealous. Every game, no matter what teams you picked, it was always red team versus blue team. You yes, could pick, exactly. and it could be the Saints versus like the Seahawks or something, and it's red versus blue. <laughs> That's right. I remember that because he was the Vikings. And he was playing, like, Tampa Bay Bucks, and it was red versus blue. Like, what is that? It makes no sense. Like, would it have been so hard for them to just create, like, it's not like it was, like, red and white versus blue and white even. It was just a single color. Like, could they you have not even, just... Yeah, they, they couldn't even do the colors. It was great. I loved, I, in some ways, I just love that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I still really enjoy it. Like, I want to go back and play that again right now. <laughs> That's great. All right, very good lists. These were actually these actually turned out surprisingly well, I think. Yeah, I'm jealous of, of uh, Jay's list because I I did not think of Tetris. <laughs> I noticed that I, I thought someone might include uh, a fighter game like Street Fighter. Mortal that Kombat was extremely hard for me to not put Street Fighter Two on my list. That was like the number six for mine. Right. Uh, it was between that and 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 Madden. And ultimately, I was like, ah, I feel mm. like I got to go with the sports game. Because sports games are just like, you know, those are like a, an undeniably huge part of video games. Oh, yeah. They're they're a huge genre. Uh, fighting games, of course, are too. But when it came down to it, I was like, you know, sports games are just overall a little bit more important, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't even consider a fighting game for whatever reason. But now that I think of it, it's, you know, you've got so many competitive fighting games and for big money too now so it's oh yeah you got uh i guess geez what would you pick like smash 4 something like that i mean i would i would go for street fighter 2 100 percent if for for this list the original street fighter 2 yeah or really any version of it but but probably the original yeah what I guess that's the most accessible, so yeah. I mean, it's the. I mean, yeah. for me, it's like that's the one that kicked off everything. For sure, it definitely did. That's for sure. And for me, like honestly, it's still one of the, one of the best, per, like in my opinion. I have to play Turbo. I can't play the original. <laughs> it's way too slow. Way too slow. Oh, you like you? So see, like I never, I I didn't play much of Turbo. Uh, I played the like. Whichever was the iteration immediately before. Just Super Street Fighter 2, I think, is, is what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to play Turbo. Well, see, Super Street Fighter 2 had the Turbo modes in it. Like, if you play, hit oh, left or right on the D-pad at the, on the that. title screen or something like that. But Turbo was predicated on, like, hey, this is Street Fighter 2. But, number one, you can play as the boss characters. And number yeah. two you can play a thousand times faster. And I was like, oh, I want to play a thousand times faster <laughs> so I for that. That sounds awesome. So 
that was my thing. Cool. Yeah, I, I like basically grew up on just Super Street Fighter Two with the eight characters, and uh, yeah. I played that a hell of a lot. But I remember when when Turbo came out, and I was like, "Holy shit! I can play <laughs> as the boss characters now." Yeah, <laughs> it like blew my mind. I was uh, always more of a Mortal Kombat player, but oh yeah, I think Street Fighter Two is more iconic. Like I would probably put that on over sure. Mortal Kombat, but all right, very nice. Let's go on to emails. All right, we got a uh, we got a actually a pretty fair number of emails this time. So let's um let's get rolling. I I might kind of pass these around like like we do sometimes. But uh, sure. I'll read the first one. First one comes from Chase, the night cleaner, longtime listener and writer. Chase says, hello, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Chase, the night cleaner with a novel for you to read off the top. Gaming J, happy you could be here. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Uh, thank you for welcoming me. And he says, also, what is the worst game you have ever played during your relentless quest? Oh God, <laughs> that's a good question. I may have already asked you this at one point. I feel like yeah. I either did or wanted to. Um, I'll preface this by saying that I try to stay pretty positive when I'm going through my game. <laughs> you can't, like, well, this sucks. <laughs> because I mean, here's the thing: you can play a game from like you know the late '70s, early '80s, and you can just rag on. It. But I think for any game, you can also sort of find what made it unique and fun for its time. Okay. Um, so I always try and, uh, you know, with any game, I try and remember what era it came out and, and what's good about it. That said, um, like off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember like what episode turned out the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Summer Games on the Commodore 64, Summer Games 2. Summer Games. Um, yeah, it. It's this, so it's just a series of like eight or so mini games, but I don't know if you guys have played much Commodore 64. No. Um, they have insane load times. Like, um, <laughs> oh, really? Like, literally, I'm not joking. <laughs> it could be like a 10 minute load time <laughs> uh, to, play a mini game, to play a mini game. So it's like you have eight mini games. Oh, and before you even get to the mini game, you have a load screen to show you the opening uh, like animation of the guy oh, lighting geez. the torch for the summer game. <laughs> then you pick a mini game. Um, you get like four to eight minutes of load time, and then you're playing a game. It's a controller with one button, so you think there's no way to mess up the controls, but it's impossible to control. <laughs> and within about thirty <laughs> seconds, the computer has beaten you, and you're back to the back to a loading screen to take you to the title screen. <laughs> There's not even an option That's to good. continue the mini game and try again. That is awesome. Yeah, I think um, I remember recording like an hour or something, and I cut it down to like an 18 minute episode. <laughs> like, it was uh, it was rough. Um, but yeah, I, I I might be able to come up with one or two other if I had a, a chance to look through my list. But that's the one that kind of springs to mind. Do you um, know by chance if that was one of the ones that loads from a cassette tape? Yeah, uh, I'm almost positive it was. Okay. Most Commodore 64 games, uh, well, not most, but many of them did. 
and that's why they had the loads the load times like that. yeah that might explain that yeah i i've since learned if anyone out there goes to play a commodore 64 game or an amiga game or something like that you're using an emulator for the love of god look up how to speed that thing up during the load times or <laughs> it can be painful to sit there <laughs> all right good advice Chase says, next up, things got a bit long in my top five, so let's just jump in. Genre-defining games? I hope I did this right. The parameters were not very well defined in your Twitter post. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that one's on me. Yeah, not necess- not really genre-defining games. It's not really what we were going for, but, uh, but we're going to take a look at these anyways. In no particular order, genre-defining games. 4X turn-based strategy, Master of Orion 2 for PC. While oh, the f- one. this one may have very well been on my list if I had, I, but I've never actually played it. Uh, while the first game was good, this game set the gold standard for space expansion 4X literally for decades to come. Other games have tried to be it or beat it, and when people create space expansion 4Xs to this day, they usually model after Orion 2. Uh, technical Fighters, Street Fighter 2 for everything. Uh, I've, for everything he means for every platform. Uh, tight controls, unique characters, great music and art design in an era where no one had seen anything like this before Street before Street Fighter 2 outshone its predecessors in every way and launched the fighter genre onto the scene in the late 80s slash early 90s. Its very existence caused an oversaturation of fighting game clones in the market that resulted in this genre's eventual decline. First person shooter. <laughs> Guess what he picked? Doom. Doom. Doom for PC. <laughs> Wolfenstein yeah. came first, but it took a few more years for most first world country households to get home PCs, which meant that when Doom hit in the 90s, the market was ready. That's a good point. Doom's in-your-face violence, art style, 2D slash 3D graphics, and clever level design, as well as its saturation rate in homes, meant that this game was way bigger than Wolfenstein could ever be. Negative press only made it more interesting and appealing to kids, and playing this game solidified first-person shooters as the genre of choice for most gamers, with this genre still at the top of the heap to this day. Action-adventure, Diablo for PC-slash-PS1. Few games can claim to capture action-adventure as well as Diablo, and through games like Secret of Mana, and though games... Like Secret of Mana, do a, do an all right job. Uh, do an all right job. Diablo and its younger brother, Diablo Two, not only made this, not only made this genre known. Not sure what exactly he's saying at the end there. The blend of uh, RPG style customization and leveling mixed with real time combat uh, made our procedurally generated maps and loot made for a highly addictive and memorable experience. Mix in multiplayer, and you have what most of us understand today as the ideal action-adventure experience. Blizzard really knocked it out of the park and taught Japan a few lessons with the early entries of the series. And finally, JRPG. Final Fantasy! Any taker? Any guesses on which one he picked? Seven. Alex? Nine. Seven. Nine. I'm going to say nine. Final Fantasy Seven for PS1. Uh, JR9, JRPGs were old hat by the time Final Fantasy VI came out, but they uh, had still not penetrated into the North American audience in a way that Japanese companies hoped they would. Final Fantasy VII changed this. Squaresoft's aggressive Western marketing campaign ensured that if you watched television, you knew this game was coming out, 
that it looked cool for the time, and that it was only for PS1. This game sold systems, and I personally bought a PS1 just to play it. Turned out, the PS1 was an amazing system that would have many other really awesome games on it. All that said, now Pokemon and Persona rival now Pokemon and Persona rival and even overshadow Final Fantasy in terms of JRPG appeal. But this game, at its release, didn't just redefine the genre, but catapulted its parent console into amazing success. If you have some time, go back and check out the Final Fantasy VII commercials. Or just check out this link. He sent us out a link. We'll check it out later. Uh, and he goes on to say, And now for my question of the day. Trying to ignore the Final Fantasy VII commercials you may have just watched, what was one video game commercial that you can remember that really impacted you and made you feel, I must own this? Uh, the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't I, know. I, what do you, you guys have any thoughts? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, like, it's weird. I remember, like, have hazy memories of like, NES con- commercials from when I was a kid, but I don't remember a ton of them super clearly. I remember like that Mario one that I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, earlier today. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm like struggling. Like I remember there was a Power Glove commercial where a kid put on the Power Glove and he was in like this dark room with a giant screen. He was punching at it and racing Rad Racer and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I remember like like when the Power Glove came out, commercials like that made me want one. Oh yeah. I'm so glad I didn't get one as a kid because oh. it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I can't really remember. I think for me, it was more like seeing. Um, I, I remember you used to be able to buy like PC magazines that would come with like a demo disc of like shareware games and stuff. And yeah. sometimes there'd be game trailers. I remember seeing like a Diablo game trailer on one of those CDs and really wanting Diablo, um, which, by the way, I think was a, a great addition on his list. Um for like top five games but yeah i think uh yeah i I, I can't remember too many i can't remember hardly any either like really all that's coming to mind is the wizard like literally even though it's kind of a joke it's weird isn't it because like we definitely saw commercials as a kid yeah we probably saw a lot of them um all right uh so uh for me he says was the uh the mortal Kombat 2 commercial from 1994 it's almost entirely live action and until baraka shows up it's pretty well done i have to watch this uh i feel like this commercial catches the cool factor and it really helped sell the game to 11 year old me uh i'm going to have to watch this here i'll uh i'll send you the link okay I'll send yeah you guys the link as well here, let me uh pull it up here because i don't remember that either but i must have seen it yeah, I don't either. Um, here's the uh, Alex. We're watching this video, uh, this video of a Mortal Kombat two commercial that um, one of our listeners <laughs> sent us. This should be good. D- does somebody scream Mortal Kombat? Oh wait, I think <laughs> I just heard somebody do that in the background. <laughs> I don't remember this commercial at all. <laughs> wow, Brucka, it looks terrible. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. They yeah. did yell Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I have never. I don't believe I've ever seen that commercial until now. 
I'm not sure I ever saw that either, but here's the thing. I didn't need a commercial to get me fired up about Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that's too. yeah, same here. <laughs> I just wanted to freaking play it. Like that game was just out of that game was unbelievable when it uh was first being hyped. Like nothing came close to that. No, you're right. Like and yeah, talk same about- here. Huh? And talk about negative press making you want it more. Like the fact oh, yeah. that it was violent and no parents wanted you to play it. Of course. <laughs> this made yep. even better. Yep. Uh, Chase says, it still gives me goosebumps. Anyway, that's all I have for today. Hope you are all well and look forward to listening to this episode in its entirety. Cheers and keep up the good work, gentlemen, including Gaming J. I love your videos, man. Well, thank you very much, sir. Chase the Night Cleaner. All right, let's move on to, uh, we have an email here from Sam. I'm going to let one one of you guys take this one, if you all don't mind. Sure. Uh, Let's see. All right, I'm just going to paste this in our chat. Hopefully there's, it's not, hold on, I'm going to have to paste, I have to paste this in two pieces because it's uh, longer than Discord wants it to be. Um, Jay, you you up for taking this one? Uh, Yeah, sure. All right, I'm going to post it in two parts. There's the first one, and the second one's on this way. You can go ahead and start if you want. Okay, so spoiler alert, extremely long email ahead. Hashtag sorry not sorry, hashtag you've been warned, hashtag I actually hate hashtags. Okay, the most then. interesting of all hashtags. <laughs> good morning slash good afternoon slash who am I kidding? It's probably evening, guys. Um, it most certainly is the evening. Mm-hmm. Um First off, apologies to Robert for not responding to his email from a couple of weeks ago. I still haven't figured out this whole being courteous and social thing in my 32 years on this planet. I do appreciate you writing back, and I will start actually responding rather than just making you think you're yelling into the wind when writing back to me. You know what? That's okay, Samuel, because I actually don't even know what you're talking about right now. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I was actually just going to say, do we know who this is from? Because I feel like I haven't said his name. Samuel. Uh, Samuel, yeah. Okay. Uh, second, a uh, quick top five because I have a story to tell. Off the top of my head, the five games I would pick to define video games would be Super Mario Brothers because it continues to define gaming 30 plus years later. Um, and I think, yeah, we all agree with that. Yep. Yep. Um, Tetris for creating the perfect, uh, the, or for creating and perfecting the puzzle game genre. Mother 3, for what is, in my wow. experience, the best narrative game ever. That's an interesting choice right that there. That is very... Yeah. Mother 3. It, was that the one on the Super Nintendo Mini? Or, or am I... No. Mis- this, no. Was... this was her Game Boy Advance that was released in uh, 2006 in Japan only. And people are oh, waiting okay. on pins and needles, waiting for it to be localized, quote-unquote, officially. <laughs> gotcha. Wait, is there no, is there still no official... English not an port? official one. There's lots of fan translations for it, but what not about, an official one. I, what about, wasn't there a, cole- I thought there was a collection on the Wii. Was that just Mother, Mother 1? I think that was just a, what do you mean a collection? Like, didn't they, on not like as a uh, hard copy, but didn't they come out with like the Mother collection on oh, the Wii? Oh, I think they translated the first game. It was just the first one. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Okay, okay. Does Mother have anything to do with Earthbound, or am I just totally off? No, yes. it's totally it's it's what Earthbound. Is. Earthbound is Mother Two. Okay. Mother Three is Earthbound Two, basically. Gotcha. Okay, that's yeah, that's why I was getting confused. Um, okay, uh, Mother Three, 
Um, Angry Birds, don't laugh. <laughs> okay. okay, you can laugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for popularizing mobile gaming and helping shape it into the horrifying microtransaction laden <laughs> loot box spewing juggernaut Oof. it is today. Okay, that's okay. Good. I'll let that one. I'll 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 allow it. But do we want to <laughs> celebrate that? <laughs> And uh, Katamari Damacy to show Holy how shit. Can be hey, <laughs> I cannot believe yet, two people compel. said that game. I can. I cannot. <laughs> that I, blows my I, mind. I'm amazed that two people picked it actually, but yeah. I also do think it's it's a pretty crazy and interesting game. Um, oh, I love the game. I think it's great. I think it's a good choice even for the list. I'm just super surprised that two, that two people chose it. It yeah. desperately needs a PS4 adaptation or remake or whatever. Get it on there. Make it happen. Somebody. <laughs> All right. Uh, now for story time with Samuel. Trademark! Exclamation point. About two months ago, I saw GameStop was having a sale where if you buy four used games at a specific price, $5, $10, etc., you get them for half price. So I bought eight because I'm good with money. Six of the games arrived within a week, but the remaining two... No More Heroes for the Wii and Ghost Trick for the DS did not. No More Heroes is actually a pretty good game. Um, I waited three weeks for the games to arrive. People have told me I'm patient to a fault, but they never did. So I decided to call their customer service to see what was going on. Someone answered almost immediately. And after I explained the situation to him, he said he would go ahead and send out replacements, which surprised me greatly. I thought I was going to have to jump through a series of hoops to get these games sent out, but it was quick and easy. Ladies. <laughs> what? Um, now he... <laughs> I, don't get the like a... I don't get the joke there. <laughs> Is it like a that's what she said kind of moment? That's like my best, that's my best guess. guess. I don't really get yeah. it, though. <laughs> All right. I'm always up um... for a good ladies joke, though, so I'll, I'll let it slide. <laughs> Um, now he told me that it would be two to three business days before I get a tracking number and three to five business days for the games to arrive. I got a tracking number the next day and a package arrived two days after that. Upon picking up the package, a bubble mailer, I immediately knew that, uh, something was wrong because there was definitely not a disc in there. Oh no. I opened the package up and lo and behold, I was sent one of the games that I'd already received. <laughs> face phone number one. You know what? I'm going to just start saying anytime... Like just randomly after I send it, say a sentence from now on, I'm just gonna go, ladies, <laughs> and it's gonna be a joke of some sort. I mean, it kind of works for anything, really. <laughs> let's try. Let's try the next sentence. Say the next sentence, and, and then say ladies after it. Okay. So I called them back, ladies. <laughs> okay. Thirty maybe minutes. Not. <laughs> Thirty minutes on hold later, I talked to a guy who sounds like he's deep throating his microphone and his <laughs> accent is nearly impossible to understand. <laughs> it takes half an hour of explaining uh, and him putting me on hold six times to get the message across that I'm still out two games. He says he's taking care of it and I'll get the tracking number in two to three days, blah, blah, blah. The next day I get a tracking number and I see the package on my doorstop the day after that. Wow, this is fast, fast turnaround, <laughs> yeah. at least. At this point, GameStop has probably spent close to $30 on shipping for these replacement games. Q facepalm number two. I pick up the package, a box this time, and it's way too heavy to just contain two games. <laughs> oh, man, what's in the box? I go inside, <laughs> open the box, and lo and behold, I got 
two missing games plus the five <laughs> games I'd already received. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> hey, man, just put them on eBay at this point. Holy God. shit. So now I have two copies of six games, Q-Face Palms <laughs> 3 and 4, because this deserves two. It was truly a moment I'll never forget. So my question for all of you this week is, this is awesome. have you ever had a ridiculous experience with a game store or electronics in general in which you got more than you bargained for or a GameStop horror story? Your choice. <laughs> Holy all shit, that's, that's a good story. <laughs> yeah. Um, apologies for the painfully long, ladies. Uh, email and as always, <laughs> thank you for doing what you do, Samuel. That 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 last ladies was actually in the email, by the way. By the way, that wasn't Jay's own commentary. Yes, yes, uh, it was in there. <laughs> That's a good story. Uh, so, other ridiculous experiences we've had with electronics or game store stuff. I don't know. I don't. I, geez, I don't think I've had anything like this. I can't think of anything I've ever had. I mean, I go back to like Funko Land. Funko Land was cool with me, so nothing, nothing I can think of. Um, yeah, I I don't actually shop at GameStop that often, to be honest. Like no. I, I I've bought the odd thing from them over the years, but um. There's a lot of like old retro game shops that I'll check out, or else eBay, or else yard sales, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any horror stories. I don't think, not, not in the realm of uh, what Samuel here experienced. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, definitely not. The, the only thing I can think of, and this is really not at all the same, but this is just coming to my mind, is uh, you know how they used to have going back to point and click adventure games. You know how they had the hint lines that you can call and it was like, you know, a dollar a minute or something like that for them to like tell you how to get past certain puzzles in, you know, Monkey mm-hmm. Island or whatever. Well, uh, we were at my friend's house and we called one of the hint lines and we were like, look, we really need help with this, but like our mom will not let us <laughs> you know, pay for it. <laughs> and the guy was like, well, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, it costs this much. And we were like... Please, can you please can you just please help us we finally like harassed the guy enough to where he just told us what to do for free and he literally <laughs> he literally said just please don't tell my boss about this <laughs> that was pretty cool yeah it was really cool that that guy was a hero man remember uh, that... when you used to have to call someone for a video game hint <laughs> yeah that's uh jeez that's pretty uh that's like almost unbelievable. Yeah, I mean it's also accessible now. Yeah. All right. Uh, next oh. email. This one's coming from Ryan. Alex, you want to take this one? Send it over. Okay. Hold. Uh, what the hell? All right. The email reads: I had no idea that writing to a podcast would take over my life. Once I knew you had recorded, I was checking my phone multiple times a day so I could listen as soon as it was published. <laughs> I might get addicted to this. Are there therapy groups for people addicted to interacting with their favorite podcasts? I may need to start attending. I, I will say that like whenever I write in uh, to a podcast, the next time that I get the next episode, I immediately skip to the email section to see if they read my email. <laughs> Did you read my email? <laughs> he says, I'm currently working through some of my steam backlog. By the time you are airing, 
I should have completed Saturday Morning RPG. If you grew up in the 80s and enjoy games that are campy, poking fun at the many tropes <laughs> that were recycled a ton, this might be your game. By the way, this email is from Ryan. Should have said that at the beginning. Uh, it regularly goes it regularly goes on sale for Steam on Steam for under a dollar. A Navy buddy of mine gave it to me a couple of years ago. It's a fairly simple and straightforward game. You have weird care bears, transformers <laughs> focused on helping you stay off drugs what? and a Cobra commander like antagonist to name a couple things. A lot of, a lot of eighties references there. Yeah. I've included my favorite screenshot for your enjoyment. Oh, here I'll, I'll send this to you. In a second. <laughs> I'm also working through super, super rad Ray gun. It's a run and gun where the main character looks like an anthropomorphized Game Boy with an arm cannon. Okay. Right. Your objective is to stop the evil Soviets from taking over the U.S. with ev- evil Soviet robots. I was laughing during the podcast. I was laughing during the past podcast about collecting all the games in a series and not playing them. At one time, I had all the Final Fantasy games through Final Fantasy X. I had actually beat 1, 4, and 6, but hardly played any of the others. I had all the intention to, but never got around to it. At one point, I owned most of the Wizardry series, too. I, pl- I mainly played Wizardry, Wizardry 1 and 7. Steam sales get me all the time. <laughs> I mean, is there anybody that... Don't they all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I finally had put myself on a game buying ban until I actually play through and beat many of the games I own. Maybe I need to look at a therapy group for that, too. <laughs> I love this power. It's so bad. <laughs> Yeah, that's the picture. <laughs> that's, <really> good. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <coughs> anyway, the five games that define what video games are. And he again breaks them down in categories. We have GRPG, Final Fantasy VI. All right. For me, Final Fantasy VI defined the RPG genre. It had a lot of depth in gameplay and had a lot and had a really good storyline. I still measure all RPGs to this entry in the Final Fantasy series, the fact that it was included in the SNES Classic should also be a vote in its favor. First-person shooters and modding Doom. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there it is. And he means the original gangster version, the OG version. When that came out, it blew me away at the time, and for at least a decade was considered the granddaddy of first-person shooters. Doom could also be the pro- uh, progenitor... Is that a word? Progenitor uh, yeah, of modding. Yeah, yeah kind of like the like the like the father of modding more. Oh, okay. I've not seen that. Uh, holy crap! If there weren't a ton of mods for that game, and ID Software encouraged it, most of how the modding community developed came from loving this game. And for platforming, this was a tough one for me. Mega Man X was fantastic for a 2D platformer, and the more recent Shovel Knight also did a fantastic job rejuvenating the platformer. However, I give a tip of the hat to Super Mario 64 as it took Ooh, wow. platforming to a 3D and our minds exploded. For me, it took platforming to a new level. And from what I have heard, Super Mario Odyssey is similar to Mario 64, but better. Yep, pretty much. And for Western RPG, Baldur's Gate took the Western RPG to a whole new level that went Neverwinter Nights and others have tried to emulate. Wizardry and Ultima are the progenitors, but it is an undeniable fact that 
Baldur's Gate changed and defined the modern Western RPG, if you agree with that. Open world game. The Legend of Zelda on the NES changed how we all viewed how video games could be. Prior to Zelda, every game had a linear story progression. It was very crude to today's standards, but all the open world games really owe it to Zelda for opening our minds and imaginations to what open world gaming could be. I know my list is a little off from what you all planned, but I really do not play many modern AAA titles. Anyway, I hope you're all doing well, and I'll be constantly checking for the new podcast next week. So my next masterpiece graces your inbox, Ryan. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah, to sum up, his list is Final Fantasy VI, Doom, uh, Mario 64, Baldur's Gate, and Legend of Zelda for NES. And I love that last pick, Legend of Zelda. It's interesting how Zelda can both fit in an open world category and an adventure slash light RPG category. Sure. Like it really spans the genres. That's true. That's a good point. Um, let's go to, all right, last, last email. I'll take this one. This is from, uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey says, Hey guys, I have intimated in the past that Jay's, that he's talking about Jay Totoro, Jay's tastes are infallible, but I have overlooked one obvious gap in his judgment. Hocus Pocus is a terrible movie. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, I Jeffrey. Agree. <laughs> Think we can all agree on that, probably. Choked on my drink. I agree. <laughs> I'm guessing that he was between seven and ten when it came out, so I can give I can forgive him for liking it at the time. But he mentions watching it every Halloween, and I always cringe. That movie, <laughs> that movie should be treated like Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Wait, what's wrong? Oh, oh, the game. Okay. And so many other games that he revisited only to realize that he was dumb when he was a kid. <laughs> All kids are, and that it sucks. Uh, sorry if I'm coming in hot on this issue, but every year my wife suggests watching it, and I say that I would rather pour gasoline in my eyes. Then I say, what about The Nightmare Before Christmas? And she shits all over one of my favorite movies. And for one day every year, I worry that our entire relationship is a sham. Nightmare Before Christmas is great (laughs) to this day. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. My only problem with that one is I don't know when to watch it. Is it Halloween? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But it's a great movie. Exactly. You watch it on Thanksgiving, just in between. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Good point. (laughs) On to the top five. At, at first, the topic seemed far too grand in scope for me to get a handle on, but then I thought of a way to interpret it. So, my top five is based on the idea that if, in 10 to 15 years, my son asked me what video games were like when I was growing up, which five games would I have him play to help him understand? Alright, that's a good way of, t- of approaching it. So here they are in the order I would want him to play them. Number one, Super Mario Brothers. This was not the first game I ever played, but it was the first great game I played, and it was the uh, the first game I ever owned. I received an NES with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt for my fifth birthday. It was one of the best and most memorable days of my entire life. I think that for being such an early title, it really captured a lot of what made 2D side-scrollers fun and addictive. It was a simple premise, but there was a depth of level design, secrets, upgrades, and enemy types that really sunk its hooks into me. You know what? I um I think I'm 99% positive that Super Mario Brothers was actually the first video game that I ever played. Do y'all remember what the first game that y'all played? Yes. Was 
What? It was Adventure for uh, Atari 2600. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I remember that game being very confusing. I just remember the dragon that could traverse screens. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. That's and so that cool. really freaked me out. That's so funny to think of that as a scary game. Oh, it scared me so much. <laughs> it was really scary. <laughs> to this day, that dragon is really it emotional scarring right there. All right, uh, real quick. Um, Jeffrey says he received the NES with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt for his birthday. It was one of the best, most memorable days of my entire life. <clears throat> Did either of you happen to see today on Reddit the guy who posted the video of him getting a Nintendo when he was like when he was little? No, no, I didn't see that. Holy shit, it's awesome! This guy posted this video and he was like, "This is a video of me when I got my Nintendo when I was, you know, when I was little." He's like five or something like that, and um, it, it sort of seems like Christmas, but I think I think it was his birthday. He opens the box and he sees the Nintendo and he literally starts bawling and he can't (laughs) do anything. He runs up to his dad and he's just like crying so hard. His dad's like, don't know. Don't, don't cry. Just play it. Just play it. And he goes, I don't want to play it. And he just like, cause he's like, (laughs) cause he doesn't, cause he's like so happy about it. Something for some reason, like he's like so excited that he doesn't, that he goes back around to not wanting to play it. And, uh, (laughs) Yeah, and he's like crying like harder than you normally somebody cry for being happy about something. (laughs) And then he runs off and like, I guess, I guess he had done something like this before. Like, I guess maybe he gets like this sometimes, but he ran off and as he's running off, his mom goes, no, don't go get your money. Don't get your money. He literally comes back with a handful of cash and he's trying to like pay his dad for the Nintendo. (laughs) Oh my god! It is the most like adorable slash sad slash funny thing I have seen in a very long time. Jeez. Yeah, and then like it's so funny because like they're like no 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 don't don't pay us, and then they're like opening the box and looking at it and stuff, and he you can see him like digging through with one hand, but he's still got the wad of cash in his other hand because he hadn't had a chance to go put it up yet. <laughs> it is it was so good. All right. Sorry about that aside. All right, so Jeffrey's number one is Super Mario Brothers. Number two, Chrono Trigger. I think that this is one of a very few games that is without a flaw. Every aspect of this RPG nails what I love about the genre. It's been talked about enough on the podcast, so I'll leave it there. Uh, Number three, Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. Maybe Super Metroid is a better game, but I think that Symphony of the Night is a much longer game with with a lot more to it and had more impact on me during my first playthrough as well as having more replay value. It built on the earlier games in its own series, as well as uni- as well as well using innovations from Super Mario Bros., Mega Man, and Zelda. It was also a touchstone moment in gaming for incorporating an experience-slash-leveling system, random drops, and upgradable equipment into the action platforming genre. Number four, Halo. Halo took the tight controls, addictive gameplay, and in-depth world-building of first-person shooters like Doom and Quake and brought it to consoles. And while Metal Gear and uh, while Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII deserve credit for pushing cinematic storytelling to the forefront of video gaming, Halo incorporated Halo incorporated it in with the gameplay in a remarkable way 
that led to amazing games like Mass Effect, Bioshock, The Last of Us, and even MMOs like World of Warcraft. Its multiplayer also was a forebearer to the to Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, etc., both of which also owe a lot to Castlevania Symphony of the Night for mainstreaming the idea of leveling up slash upgrading equipment outside of the RPG genre. And number five, Grand Theft Auto 3. The ultimate sandbox game. Probably one of the most important video games in history up to this point. There was just so much to do in this game and I never felt bored or like I was just grinding or repeating the same side quest. When this game came out... Uh, when this game came out, it really blew everybody's mind in a way that few others have. Uh, later, that, later games like the Elder Scrolls series, GTA V, and Fallout may have offered more, but for me, it was too, mu- it was too much, and I started to feel like they were too vast and open-ended. The honorable mentions could go on forever, but I'll just quickly shout out Pac-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game. Oh, good game. Uh-huh. <laughs> Street Fighter 2. NHL 94, Warcraft 1 and 2, Gran Turismo, Resident Evil 2, Final Fantasy Tactics, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Diablo 2, Dark Souls, and every Madden game from 93 to 2004. (laughs) Another long-ass email from me, sorry, but thanks for taking the time to read it. I also had an idea for an upcoming Top 5 when Rob was warning Jay about (laughs) about the end of Metal Gear Solid 2. Top five most infuriating or frustrating gaming moments <laughs> could have to do with storyline, difficulty, or maybe your opponent. I think it would be a fun list later, dudes. Uh, we may use that, Jeffrey. I, I I don't know if I would call Metal Gear Solid 2's story infuriating or fr- infuriating or frustrating, just because I think it's just kind of being off the wall uh, on purpose. But I think that is a good list idea. So we may go with that. In fact, I'm going to write that down because I'll probably forget otherwise. Uh, That's interesting. Go ahead. He went with uh, Madden. What did he say? Madden 93 to 2004. So the last good Madden to Jeffrey was the one with Michael (laughs) Vick on the cover. But the one with Ray Lewis on the cover, he's like, no, I'm done with this. (laughs) That's interesting. So. You gotta draw the line somewhere, you see. <laughs> it's like that's that seems arbitrary to me. I think I if I remember correctly, that's when the Madden series started the hit stick thing where you used the uh the right joystick, you know, um for like big hits on defense or something like that. That's, oh, I va- I vaguely remember that. Yeah, they tried to make because all anybody cared about when people played Madden back then, all they did was just like, okay, five wide receivers, shotgun formation, throw it, <laughs> chuck it deep, and then it's like, oh no, we want defense to be a thing. We want people to be excited about playing defense. It's like, okay, let's do this like hit stick thing where if you control a player with the right joystick, you can kick the crap out of them. And now that's not so much a thing anymore <laughs> because of the whole concussion thing. So it's like that may not be uh, much of a uh, an emphasis anymore. So yeah, I don't know nor, if that's still a thing. Nor do you see like the ambulances driving out <laughs> onto the field. That's still the best. 
That was awesome because what was so funny about it is that it would it didn't matter who was in the way, the ambulance would drive to the same spot and just literally knock people out of the way. <laughs> not only would they get knocked out of the way, but they'd make like their football like sounds like Yeah, they would they would literally like act like they were getting tackled and make that sound, yeah. Tackled by an ambulance. Yeah. They would dive out. Yeah, they were that I mean that's what it came down to. Oh man, that was good. Do you remember, I guess it was in Madden 2004, where, like, I remember everybody, like you said, would do the shotgun formation and all that, but they would also play as the Falcons. Oh, and yeah. And then just Michael Vick. run with Michael Vick. Yeah. Every yeah. single play. It was so frustrating. Some st- stuff never changes. Back in the day, in the early 90s, it was Randall Cunningham. You know, you got to be the fast quarterback. Oh, really? So I don't you, remember that. You don't have to hand it off to anybody. You just get the ball snapped straight to you and you just run. It's like, ah, so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Vick is one of the all time. If he had to make like a Madden Hall of Fame or like a football video game Hall of Fame. (laughs) Holy shit. The the first three guys are Michael Vick, Randall Cunningham, and Bo Jackson. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Bo Jackson, of course. Yeah. For Tecmo. Yeah. uh, For Tecmo Tecmo Super Bowl. Bowl. Other other than that, like, those are the first three guys for sure. That's, you know, I would say we should do a list on that, but I don't know who in the hell else you could. Yeah, I don't know. You just nip. I mean, Jerry Rice. Like, I don't know. Well, Jerry Rice is like the pick. god of everything. Yeah, catches uh, anything. In fact, he should be the number one on every list, regardless <sighs> of what the list is. Nah, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, number one. Nobody can tackle him. <laughs> yeah, but you don't need to be tackled if uh, if you're Jerry Rice. You just you're just faster than everybody. You're just faster than everybody. Nah, that's a good point. You catch the ball like with your teeth. <laughs> All right, real quick. I don't want us to drag on too long because I know this has been a long episode. Let's let's jump into the current gaming subcast mm-hmm. and talk very briefly about uh, the uh, non-classic games we've been playing, if any. Jay, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um. So yeah, recently I've been uh, playing the new Batman Telltale game that uh, oh, right. was okay. released. Yeah, um, and this kind of goes back to the game that you, because you were playing the adventure game as your retro game. Um, I, I find that the Telltale games, I don't know if I would call them adventure games as much as interactive story games, because um, like the game that you played was so open ended and you had to point and click and find your items, and you know, there, there was just so little direction. I feel like the Telltale games are almost the opposite end of the spectrum where. You are literally guided through absolutely everything, and there's almost no puzzles to solve, really. Um, so it may sound like, you know, why would you ever want to play this game? But I find that Telltale games are interesting if you treat them more as just interactive movies. Like you're watching a, yeah. a new story, um, and you have some control over like what your characters say and like, uh, you know, how the story goes a little bit. Um, I actually find that with the Telltale games, if you replay the game, sometimes it's a bit of a disappointment because you realize you had less control than it seemed. So I only ever <laughs> sure. play them once. And I, yeah. I live with the illusion that I was under control. <laughs> um, but yeah, the so the, there's a new season. So the Telltale games release in seasons. Um, and each season has five episodes. And each episode is about two to three hours of game. Um, and, and I enjoy them. I thought their Walking Dead games were really good. Um, they started doing a Batman series which is kind of interesting because it 
it's Batman when he's really early in his career. Uh, so he's not brand new, but he's fairly new. So not a lot of his villains are established. So um, a lot of the episodes are about different villains emerging and how he deals with them and so on. But the games also kind of violate a lot of the Batman canon. So oh, really? Yeah. And when I first when I played the first season of this last year, it kind of annoyed me a little bit at first. But I got over the initial annoyance. And what I realized is that it's actually better that they violate the canon because you never because now you don't know what to expect. You know, like if if they went with just the straight up canon definition of who Penguin was, then you'd know, okay, he's this arms dealer and blah, blah, blah. And he's not to be trusted. that. But instead, they have a character who kind of like Penguin, um, but some of the things about him don't jive with the official canon but that's okay because then it means you don't know what's going to happen and what to expect so hmm. i actually like it it's it's a fun trip of sort of pretending to be batman and bruce wayne for a couple of hours um i come out the other end wishing i was rich and worked out more but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's fun and uh catwoman's in both the games is like the love interest so there's <laughs> there's always a side of you that's like how do I get to make out with Catwoman? And you're just trying to make decisions <laughs> right, purely yeah. based on that. Yep. So I think like I in the episode, I completely betrayed Jim Gordon because I was solely <laughs> set on how can I get in the good graces of Catwoman? Sorry, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Batman's got needs. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So this was the second, the, the second season that you said you've been... Yeah, so the second season's currently airing. They just released episode three, so there's two more coming. Probably one in January, February, and one uh, like March or sometime. They come out every couple months. Did you play the um, first season? I did. And was it, how, was, how was that? Because I, I thought about it, buying that one. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it, it's, you know, again, it's, it's not a, an official story that you've heard before because it violates some of the canon, but... Um, yeah, it has, it has twists and turns and, um, you get to make some sort of hard decisions at some points and, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the second season is turning out to be a little better than the first. Um, but again, you have to kind of go into it accepting that you're going to see familiar characters in slightly different ways than you've seen them before. And if that doesn't bother you, then you'll probably enjoy it. Um, if that might bother you, then I'd probably recommend checking out their Walking Dead series or something instead. Because uh, those are really good, too. And in fact, I think the Walking Dead Telltale games tell better stories than the TV show does anymore. Like, it's they're pretty solid uh, storytelling, especially the second season of The Walking Dead. I um I, I think The Walking Dead season one is awesome. Uh, the game, uh, the Telltale the season one yeah. is amazing. Um, did you ever play the second? I did not play the second. I played the uh, 400 Days, like, little... I guess you'd call it DLC. It's like a ex- expansion, more or less. Okay. Did, have you played that one? I don't. I think I think I missed that one. Actually. That one w- was not really good. It was basically oh. four. I think like four, um, kind of like little tiny mini episodes that were all self-contained with like other characters. None of uh, them were really oh, all that great. I did. I did play that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that great because they were all too, like there was no continuity really between them. Yeah, I didn't really. It just kind of felt a little bit pointless. But the second season, did you? Was that one? Yeah, actually, I really, I really like the second one. Um, Okay, has a few heartbreaking moments, but I think that's what made it good. That's um, I I might have to check that one out because I really loved 
the first uh the first one of those seasons and yeah like for me i know like a lot of people said like well kind of like you sort of hinted at this as well like you uh you have a lot of choices to make ultimately they don't make a ton of difference in how like the game ends and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but like for me just being presented with those choices that i had to make was like, enough like to make the game really good because it was like like it challenged me in a way like holy shit what would i do in this situation yeah and it like didn't really matter whether it affected the game that much it was just like a challenge i I kind of felt it like i I was challenged like holy shit like i just don't know how i would handle this what 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 would i do oh okay also i have three seconds to decide (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) yeah i think i I like the telltale games because they really make you feel like you're the character even if you know that as you say at some at some level the story is fairly linear. You only have so much control over what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I've always been a Batman fan. So I think I in particular like the Batman Telltale games because I like pretending to be Batman for a little bit, you know, living a fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I, I might have to check. This. They, I, they get all the Telltale games get a lot of flack nowadays for like not really switching up their their formula very much. But like for me, when when they're nailing it, like it's really good. Still. Yeah. I, I just think of them as little movies, and I enjoy them for that. Sure. All right. Uh, Alex, what, anything anything non-classic that you've been playing lately? Nothing. All right. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, I really don't play much. I mean, occasionally I'll play Stardew Valley um, on Steam. That's really about oh, okay. it. That's, that's very Super Nintendo-esque. Uh, at least at least graphically it's pretty much like the spiritual successor to harvest moon yeah like the original harvest moon for super nintendo so yeah that's accurate all right i've got two games i'm gonna try to go through these as quickly as possible one is europa universalis 4 i can never say it perfectly on my first try (laughs) um are you are you i know jay is because i've talked with uh, with him about this on on the podcast plenty or jay tottero rather are either of you guys familiar with this game in any way at all never heard of it no all right so europa universalis 4 is is a is a grand strategy game and it's it starts off in the year like 1440 or something like that and you pick any country in europe it's it's got everything that is like historically accurate. It's got the layout of all the countries in Europe at that time, uh, exactly as they were. And you pick a country, you pick literally any country. Uh, I, I think at this point they've expanded it to literally every country in the world that was around at that time. And you pick whichever one you want to play as. And it actually follows history his, like in a historically accurate way. Uh, oh, wow. So, like, all of the major events that happen for whatever country you pick, those will all, like, be events in the game that you encounter and you have to deal with and that kind of stuff. Uh, And, of course, things vary in the sense that, like, okay, now you're running this country, so you're going to decide whether, you know, you might want to invade your neighbors or you might want to try, like, if you you play as Spain, for instance, or, or Portugal, like, one of the big parts of the game is when you start exploring throughout the rest of the world and, and discovering like the Americas and Africa and that kind of stuff and expanding your colonies, setting up colonies and other, in, in other places and that kind of stuff. But if you're playing like a landlocked country, then you're kind of more focused just on the countries that are around you. Again, whether you want to invade your neighbors and that kind of stuff, it's, it's really like 
a hardcore sim in the sense that uh, you you can't like say, okay, I want to invade this country. Like in order to do that, you have to uh, like have a reason to invade the, another country and all this kind of stuff. So like it's it's really trying to be as historically accurate as possible, but also giving you enough leeway to like you know kind of alter history in the way that you want to. So it's a really fun game to play and like see over. It, it, it plays from. Like I said, the year for like 1440 or 1420 or something like that up until 1821 or like something right around that, that point mm. in time. And uh, one playthrough, depending, you can you can like adjust the speed as you do it. Uh, it takes anywhere from, I would estimate, I've never timed it, but if it feels like one playthrough takes anywhere from 20 to 40 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, and so you're kind of in it for the long haul when you start it. I love this game. I played at, this is this is my third playthrough on it. I decided to play as Austria because Austria is the uh, the head of the Holy Roman Empire at the time that the game starts. And that has kind of its own separate mechanics even. So uh, you're playing as the Holy Roman Empire and you're trying to sort of keep keep everything together. And it was really cool because one of the things that you can try to do is uh, regain some of the lost countries or some of the lost uh, provinces of the Holy Roman Empire that kind of went to other countries and are, and are no, no longer part of the empire. One thing that you can try to do is reconquer them and get them to join back into the empire. <laughs> and so I was trying to do that to see if I could get it. Um, and you have to do it by this certain date in order like for it to actually happen. And it kind of triggers these events and that kind of stuff. So I thought it would be cool. And uh, what happened was I got so, so close to getting them. I conquered most of the land that I that I had to get back to regain. There were like two more places that I had to get. One was like some random land, some random province in like modern day Italy. And another one was the, the papacy, which of course is where like the Pope is in the home of the Catholic <laughs> church. And uh, so I conquered all this stuff. As soon as I conquered the papacy, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the papal state is what it is. Literally everybody turned against me. <laughs> Because, as you can imagine, everybody's Catholic. They don't like that very much when you uh, take over the home of the Catholic Church. So, uh, I was having to fight off, like, six countries at a time. And since I had, like, only one one or two more provinces that I had to take over, I was, like, going all in on... Like, I could have just, like, surrendered or, you know, not surrendered as so much as, like, offered peace and said, okay... Uh, uh, you win this award, I'll pay you this much, and, and I'll give you back the, the papal state. I didn't want to do that because I was really trying to uh, to finish this thing. So I took out uh, so many loans so I could keep like buying armies to uh, to try, or, or buying mercenaries rather, because I had fought so many wars that my country did not have enough people to enlist in my army anymore. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sounds I like was, you're not a very good leader. <laughs> I, I was I was a desperate leader. Let's just say that. <laughs> so I was hiring mercenary after mercenary, uh, or mercenary like army after mercenary army, just like desperately trying to finish this one thing, like fight them off so I can get this one more province. And I took so many uh, loans that I eventually went bankrupt, and like. That complete, and I did not, and I did not ever get a chance to. Uh, they, they finally, I finally had to give in before I was able to uh, take over the last province. I just couldn't do it. So, uh, like when you go 
into um, bankruptcy, like you are completely like it just completely destroys your reputation. <clears throat> your like like it just it makes like your finances are just absolutely terrible. Inflation gets super high. Interest gets super high. Right. And I literally spent the next hundred years trying to <laughs> recover <laughs> from declaring bankruptcy. Wow. And so the next hundred years was literally me just trying to earn money, trying not to get attacked, just like being as diplomatic as possible, being as friendly with other countries as possible so no one would attack me. So all I could do is just sit there in my nice little like country that's like half the size that it used to be, just trying to earn my money back. And, uh, <clears throat> eventually I sort of got back to basically like a neutral state where I wasn't like absolutely shitty, but I wasn't like a great country or anything like that either. And then like I played the next, like, I guess two or 300 years trying to, uh, <laughs> regain some sense of, uh, prestige, which I was never really able to do until, uh, the very end of the game where I kind of started to grow kind of big again, but like still hmm. like basically just back to the size that I started off at. Right. But that's kind of the the joy of this game is sort of just like picking a country, playing it, and going on through with it. Like no matter what kind of bad stuff happens, it's not so much win or lose. It's kind of like a more of a role playing sense. Like, yeah. oh, this is this is cool. This is what I would try to do with my country in this sense. Let's just go with it, even if things get bad, and just kind of see how it, see how it turns out. Uh, it's always fun at the end of that game to see like what the what the map of the world looks like, uh, right? You know, compared to like the real uh, the real world. So that was that was a ton of fun. Yeah, it, and, it sounds very unique in the sense of like, like I've played tons of games that are sort of like the risk or the civilization model where you just sort of, you can do whatever you want, declare war on whoever you want, take over. But mm-hmm. it sounds like there's lots of options. Like you're hiring mercenaries, you're be, being diplomatic. People are upset if you take over the papal st- the states or whatever. Like, yep. What's that one called again? It's Europa Universalis 4. Europa... Universalis. I might check I that one out. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it's actually probably one, one of my favorite games ever. Um, I like games like that. That it's not just straightforward war. It's like there's more to it. Yeah, and that's that was that's the problem that I've always had with the Civ games. Is like they're fun, especially when you first start off. But then like every one of them ultimately turns into all right. We're, who are we going to take over? I got to start building my army and attacking. Yeah. Them. Yep. Um. Europa Universalis does have a bit of a wall to entry as far as like learning how to play the damn game. Uh, right. <laughs> I watched uh, Quill18 uh, is a YouTuber and Twitch streamer, and he's got a good tutorial series on the game. Hmm. But in order to understand like not even everything, but like 85% of the game pretty well, he has eight 45 minute videos explaining, oh my God. <laughs> explaining how to play the game. So you're kind of in for it if you go for it, but it is it's a, an extremely rewarding game if you do take the time to learn it. I right. highly recommend it. Cool. And uh, I promise I will actually try to be, be brief on this one. My last, my other game that I've been playing is Super Mario Odyssey. Right on. <laughs> and uh, it's super fun. It's have are either of you guys by chance playing this? Nope. No. No. Okay. It I, is... I would like a Switch, but uh, it's a yeah, long. Yeah, me too. I'll get it in a few years, probably. I, I could not justify owning a Switch at this point. I just don't have the time. Yeah, I hear you. I won't say too much, but like you've, I'm sure you've heard plenty about it. I'm sure everybody listening has heard plenty about it. Like I agree with basically everything I've heard about it. 
I will say, first of all, I, I love, I absolutely love the game. It's got some amazing moments in it. Um, I will say, I think I still like Super Mario World better. Huh. Uh, the I Super pl- Nintendo one? Yeah. I get the sense that a lot of people like this better than just about any Mario game ever. Uh, and I would maybe say it's my second favorite. To me, uh, Super Mario World is just so imaginative and creative on its own. And it's just like like all the worlds are really unique in a very interesting way. And like they incorporate lots of cool mechanics and bad guys and that kind of stuff. And Super Mario Odyssey also does, but I feel like not quite to the same extent that Super Mario World does. So, uh, I don't know if I would call that a controversial opinion, I don't think, but I think a lot, from from the sense I'm getting is most people who are playing it are like, this is the best Mario game ever. To me, I, I feel like Super Mario World solidly beats it, but it's also a solid second place game. Fair enough. Fair enough. And with that... Holy shit. This is like going to be a three and a half or longer hour episode. <laughs> we got to make up for it being delayed, right? Well, that, yeah. I, that's, you know, exactly. that's a good point. That's a good point. That's true. Uh, let's, I guess let's, let's wrap this up. So Alex, where can people find you on, uh, on the internet? Uh, type SNES drunk on your computer channel or on your phone. On your computer channel. Thing. <laughs> Into your, into your into the DOS com, into the DOS command line. <laughs> C colon backslash Snestra. See what happens when you do that. <laughs> Something should happen eventually. Yeah, just Snest drunk on YouTube. All right. Um, what about what about that Twitter? Oh, that Twitter is Snest drunk. Uh. uh <laughs> Twitter.com slash <laughs> Very Today. good. That's that Twitter. All right, Jay, what you got for us? My web zone is GamingJ1001. Um, that will find me on YouTube, Twitter. So YouTube.com slash GamingJ1001. Twitter.com slash GamingJ1001. Or I guess, how do you, people say like at and their handle for Twitter. Yeah, I think right? it works. So at GamingJ1001. Yeah, J1001. I think it works either way. Yeah. Um, that, and there you can find my Let's Play series where I'm working my way through that book. So come check it out if you like these long format chatty things. Although it's me chatting to myself, but maybe that makes it more funny. I don't know. And not quite as long format as this podcast has turned out to be. No, it's not going to be a three and a half hour. <laughs> it's anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes typically. Um, and we're playing a game while I chat. So there's uh, games to check out. There you go. Yeah. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, leave us sick reviews on iTunes. Send us emails at mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. Uh, follow us. Leave us sick reviews. Sick reviews, yeah. Sick reviews? Yeah. They can't just be like regular reviews. They got to be sick. Re- they no, it has to be. No. Approved we, by somebody in, we the, had, in the manner of sickness. I'm, I'm requesting sick reviews specifically. <laughs> All right. Fair we, uh, enough. I'm, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Yeah, most of our reviews are pretty sick. All right. But we do have like two one-star reviews. <laughs> uh, what? What do they say? I'll bring it up. I'll pull it up. Hold on. Like one guy um, just really hated the podcast. Let me see what he said. This was like a while back too. Uh, 
Um, he said. Oh, here we go. It's the <laughs> when I pull up shit. When I pull up the uh, reviews, it's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it says, uh, "Okay, so there are two one-star reviews, uh, like two one-star ratings, but only one of them left an actual review." He says, uh, "Nobody give so like apparently this was right after an episode where I had like busted my keyboard and I had to get a new one. I was talking about that." I, like, I didn't bust it on the podcast. Like, I was talking about how I accidentally destroyed it because I spilled juice on it. Yeah. And um, he says, nobody gives a crap about your stupid keyboard and how your <laughs> weeks were. Time to change the description of your show to a bunch of boring dudes chat about pointless crap snore fest. <laughs> wow. So, we've got we've got the, the breakdown here. We've got 12 ratings. we got two one stars, uh, nine five stars. And then we got one guy right smack dab in the middle on three stars. All right, all right. You got to work for his vote. He's yeah. <laughs> we got to work for him. He was like, "I'll forgive you for talking about your keyboard that's broken, but it still wasn't a great podcast." <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, we prefer the five star ones if if you're into that. Uh, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you very much, Alex and Jay, for coming on the podcast on super duper short notice. Right on. Yeah, no problem. And uh, we will see you guys hopefully in uh, two more weeks when we have up the next episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you all later. Bye. Bye.